All right. Uh, hello, hello. Welcome to the Eddie Conversation Podcast, episode number 26. Um, my name is Eddie V. Hill, and I am your host. Today I'm joined by Chad Darnell. That's me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, other quick uh, reminders is if you are a fan of the podcast, like, subscribe, comment, review, wherever you're listening, share it. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, yeah, but Chad, all right, great. Good to see you. It's been a bit. It's been a year. It's been a year. Yeah. And uh, to lay the little bit of foundation here, you are everything. You're a writer, director, actor. Casting director. Casting director. Trying to get out of that, but keep getting sucked back in. Right, right. Okay. So those are the the foundational Chad pillars. Um, And as far as the acting goes, that's screen and theater, correct? All right, sweet. So I primarily, I solely know you. Our experiences have been you were the director, uh, The Undertaker's Wife. So I was a script supervisor. I got to witness that experience. That was your feature directorial debut. First, yeah, I did a film called Birthday Cake uh, eight years ago, and it was a feature-length film. Mm. We shot it in six days, and it was a mockumentary-style film. So it was a very different experience. Like we had, you know, it was like we had a sound person, we had a camera, but otherwise it was like it was that movie where you know everything's on my credit card. So right, it right. wasn't, this time it was like, I, I would go to touch something or like try to help sweep and people would be like, step out of the way, mm-hmm. you know, that we have people that have, you know, why, why are you doing that? People mm-hmm. were getting very anxious when I tried to help, so. Right. Yes. Okay. So I'm trying to figure out where to start because I kind of want to start with The Undertaker's Wife and just yeah. talk about that experience because from my perspective, I... Or I don't know, like casting director too. Like that's I I do not know what it's like for you jumping between the chairs. Like uh. you've done a lot of you've done a lot of work as a casting director. Yeah. And I was kind of curious on the experience of directing this feature and what you think about looking back on it and uh, stuff that kind of snuck up on you that you weren't quite prepared for. Mm-hmm. That you were maybe expecting were gonna was gonna go a different way. Mm-hmm. As vague as that all is, let's yeah, yeah, start, yeah, no. Let's start with that. I, what's interesting is that that time we shot the movie starting in February, early February of last year, and uh, the film was officially greenlit in November. Uh, David Brown, who's our producer, wanted mm-hmm. to actually start shooting in November, but I was already under contract to do a play in Atlanta called Moonlight and Magnolias, where I was playing David Oselsnick. So um, we were. A month into rehearsals, and mm-hmm. I just I couldn't, I couldn't go to the theater and be like, "Peace out, I'm directing my movie now." Right, I mean, it's right. just I I had a, I made a commitment and I had to see that through, and so we ended up pushing. And, but the reason we wanted to shoot earlier is because David and his partner were in the process of having twins, mm-hmm. and they weren't due until April, but um, they came in January, and uh, so they were in NICU the entire shoot, and um, we. That's what prompted that time timeline. So, but in that timeline, November, December, I'm in rehearsals. We opened the show uh, early January. I was also writing a screenplay for Mary Lambert, which was based on a book, and I was preparing for the play. So that was like you know a stack of books that thick that mm-hmm. David Oselsnick had been a part of, the history of Gone with the Wind, because that's what it was about—the making of Gone mm-hmm. with the Wind. Okay. Um, 
and prepping the movie and casting the movie. So I felt like mm. I was training for an Iron Man. So by the time we actually stepped foot on set the first day, it was yeah. easy. Like yeah, I, yeah, didn't, yeah. I didn't have to do a play. I didn't have to uh, work on that screenplay anymore, which I finished the script in, in early January. But it just not having that on my plate anymore, not having yeah. the play on my plate anymore, just focus, not having to deal with casting anymore, which but that was that was a big nightmare that you don't think about until right. afterwards. Well, <laughs> as far okay, well, I was gonna yeah, all right. So as far as casting the movie, being yeah. being, I don't know, man. All right, there's so much. How being that you come from casting. And now you're in the director chair mm -hmm. again after what eight years mm -hmm. since the last mm -hmm. since, since the last, last film. Yeah, so yeah, I'm trying to imagine. Does it feel like that should be a cakewalk thing since you have experience in that field? And like, I don't know, I don't know how did how was it for yourself? Like, the I interesting guess? thing is, and like, I never wanted to be a director. Mm. I know that. Do you, I, do you want? Okay. Yeah, I do now. Okay. But I the th my my thing was back in the day, and I can pinpoint the day. I can tell you exactly where I was sitting. I used to work for an actress, and I was her assistant. She was on a big TV show. And we were going back from Comic-Con. And at the time, I w this was 2010, 11, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was, at the time, I was uh, researching and writing a script called Joey Stefano, which is a biopic about a porn star who died of a drug overdose in 1994. Okay. So we're in the process of trying to cast this movie. I mean, it's 2021, and we're still trying to get this movie made. But um, uh, we were out to people. We were casting it, and we were talking to directors. And the actress that I was with, she said, you know, you just need to, why, why aren't you directing the film? And I said, I, I don't want to direct. I said, I, I'm afraid of telling actors what to do. Mm. And that was the thing that, in my head, that's what a director did. It's, it's the director told actors what to do. And which, of course, could not be further from the truth. If you're a good director, you you lead. You, you, there's so much more that a director does, but for whatever reason, that's. And I mean, this is years of casting too that I've been on set. Mm -hmm. But for for whatever reason, like, I think that the idea of me directing a film was going to be me telling actors what to do, which right, right, is not at all what okay. happens. All right. So you you said that to her at that time. That's, yeah. So, all right. So okay. That you and so and and I and I also said I don't know anything about cameras and I don't know anything about editing. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, that's why you hire a DP and that's why you hire an editor. And so I started like slowly adapting to the idea of maybe I could direct this and. At the time, like a couple months earlier, uh, some friends of mine got together. We shot a movie that never came out um, because of the editing. Um, but it was like 13 stories that take place in a hotel. We shot at, um, there's a hotel down near the airport called the Custom Hotel. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's still around. But um, we had these really... I wrote half the stories, and the, the other director wrote half the stories. So it was kind of like an anthology? An anthology, yeah. Okay. And, um, so, and they were all supposed to weave together. But, of course, that the other director who was editing it said, oh, well, we'll figure it in post, which mm. is not something that mm -hmm. ever happens. Mm -hmm. And so the movie never happened. But the actors on all of my projects were coming to me and asking me for direction, asking me about the stories. And, and one of the actors who was in it, uh, when this whole Joey Stefano thing was happening, he said, you know, you should just direct this movie. And, um, and I said, well, I, or he said, you should have been directing the film because he was in my pieces. We were sitting at St. Felix in, in West Hollywood. 
And I said, the only film I've ever wanted to direct is Joey Stefano. Um, and I said, but, and this was, this conversation was just before I met Shishi LaRue, who's very important to the story. Mm. Met him 30 minutes later, and that's how the whole thing started. Um, so, cut to all these years later. I, I started directing. I started directing short films. I started directing a web series. I did the sequel. The, we, Birthday Cake was a feature-length sequel to Groom's Cake, which was a short that we won almost every festival we got into mm. the LGBT circuit. And that's how the whole thing started. And then after Birthday Cake did really well on the festival circuit, it does not translate if you watch it like on Amazon or Hulu. Mm. It doesn't translate. Is that, <laughs> in what way? Like, do you mean like seeing it in a theater with yeah. that specific crowd? Yeah. Like that's kind of the yeah. experience? Versus... Yeah. And I think also like the audiences that went to go see Birthday Cake had seen Groom's Cake as mm. the short in the, in the, because we played every festival <laughs> again with Birthday Cake. So they already knew the characters and they, at that point, they realized, oh, this isn't a real movie. Because a lot of people thought Birthday Cake, Grimm's Cake was a real documentary, and mm. it wasn't. Gotcha. And so, and this one, Jane Badler, who played Diana on V, who's a friend of mine, she she played a very heightened version of herself. So it was, you know, we were leaning into the mockumentary mm -hmm. a little bit more. Um, it did well, but then when it came time to sell the film, it just, it didn't, tra it doesn't translate. And right, it's also, right. it's a period film mm -hmm. now, because it was about marriage equality, and so now marriage equality is a law of the land. So it just, it doesn't translate now. Mm. But it did in, in, back in the day because you're around, and a lot of the audiences in, in gay and lesbian film festivals are older people. So they, they related to the characters more. They related to the story more. And I think when you're in a theater mm. experience like that, it just it really translated. Sure. It does not when you watch it on Amazon Prime. Yeah, when you're, okay. <laughs> so and we shot it in six days. I mean, so it, yeah, it's not Schindler's List. No, that that's, that sounds like a great experience. Though it sounds like fun. Um, I was gonna come back to so. What triggered the difference? Like, what what happened for you to get over the hurdle of? I don't have to tell actors yeah. what to do. Like, what what happened there? I um, uh, so this is two thousand thirteen. Um, and I left LA. I, I, I still have my place. We lived in, as if people know where that is. Uh, <laughs> we, we lived in Adams Hill, you know, just over on the other side of, of uh, the five. And uh, we, my roommate Link, you met Link. Link plays Landon. Yes. Undercover's wife. Mm -hmm. um, we had a we had a house for sixteen years together. And but in thirteen years in, I moved back to Atlanta to start casting again. And, but from 13 to 16, I was kind of coming back and forth mm -hmm. because we paid really super cheap rent. Um, and it was cheaper just to pay rent than it was to move my stuff across the country. So, sure, sure. <laughs> um, but in 13, um, I moved back to Atlanta. I was getting, the boom in Atlanta was starting to happen at that point. Um, we had two TV shows that were shooting. Whoa. And they, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> and I think Hunger Games shot, it was, that was the year they shot Hunger Games too. Um, so things were like starting to slowly build at that point. And I got hired to work on Selma with my mm. casting partner, Cynthia Stilwell. I got to work with Ava DuVernay. And that first bit of casting, I was more running the camera. I was, you know, I was booking the auditions. Okay. I was dealing with, I was getting the sides out to the actors. I was, I was, I was doing all of the jobs of a casting associate, but I wasn't actually reading opposite the actors. But I got to communicate with Ava about casting and about what she was looking for and, 
every day we would do these callback sessions with her in the late afternoon with the actors, and that's how we cast the film. Mm -hmm. And then going on to the next film that I did was Magic Mike XXL. And that movie was completely different because, because the script was a work in progress, I got to improv mm. all of the scenes with the actors. Mm. So I got, you know, in the audition, like I'm behind the camera, but I'm improving with the actors. Channing Tatum's watching the auditions back in LA. Mm. And when I got to Savannah, where we shot the movie, when we were finally all there shooting, he would come into my office and sit down and want to watch the old auditions that we had done. And he was creating roles around actors that he really liked. And so that was, and okay. that was a little different because I mean, at that point, like, yeah, I'm giving them direction, but I was more improving with them as well. So mm -hmm. it was, I was far more active in yeah, that process. Yeah. And then um, things were popping off in Atlanta. I did, a, I did the extras casting on Dirty Grandpa and Savannah, Christine, um, which was about the news reporter. Um, there was another big, crazy beach movie. Um, and then I did Mercy Street in um, mm. Richmond. And we had, and I was just doing the extras casting on that, but it was hundreds of people that had to look like they were in the Civil War, fit certain sizes. Mm -hmm. It's a union town, so some of your union count of extras are, are union, some are not, so it's a lot of paperwork. But the interesting thing about that experience, Tracy Kilpatrick was the locations casting director, and inevitably, once every two weeks on the radio, they would scream, you know, get Chad to the set immediately. And Roxanne or one of the other directors would be like, we're going to upgrade an extra. And so I had to go mm. into extras holding and like suddenly yank a performance out of an extra who had never been in an acting class right, before. Right, right. And uh, some of them had been pursuing acting, but most of them were not because they were... So, I mean, but that's like an extra's dream, right? Is, totally. is being elevated yeah. to like a speaking role, yeah. like a, 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 a what's the, what's the term? Like, uh, upgraded. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you're upgraded. Sure. So how, how, do, so how does that work for you when, when you're being tasked with that and you have a whole room full of people? Like The you... first thing, the first like I knew all of the extras really well okay. because we, you know, I, I cast them yeah, you and then them we would years, see them so. in fittings. We would talk to them during the fittings because... It wasn't just that we needed them, but like those, it was a military hospital. So for a lot of those episodes, because we would block shoot, we needed that person back in that bed for the next three weeks. And mm -hmm. so like, you had to be nice to these people. And I mean, we had a great crew, a great <laughs> cast, but it's like, you you went a little above and beyond to make sure that they were comfortable. That's, and so, Which I think is great. You, It's nice to have incentive to be nice to people. <laughs> <laughs> but even more so when you definitely need them back. Sure. And But I mean, we there was a great crew. Really, really. I mean, everybody was so kind to everybody. It wasn't one of those sets where mm -hmm. people were dismissive of the background. And I, and also with all my years in extras casting, like if people were rude to my background, I would fight for them. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, but in that case, it was like I had to go into holding and, and like tap into the little heads and like get a performance out of them. Mm -hmm. And like so that was like a little intro into the directing. directing. Yeah. yeah. And that was really that was really where it was. And um, at the end of the first, we wrapped the first season, I was working on a novel at the time, um, and Josh Radner, who, a super nice guy, but I can count like on one hand how many conversations I had with the guy the entire first season. Um, he, I get this phone call while I'm in DC, I was, went up to DC for the weekend to work on my book, and it was this producer named Harula Rose, and she said, hi, uh, Josh Radner gave me your telephone number, and I'm like, how did Josh Radner get my telephone mm -hmm. number? And, uh, 
I my first thought was, oh, he's he met her at a bar and he's trying to get her to be an extra. Like, but that's not that's not at all who Josh is. But it was like, <laughs> why are you calling me? Uh -huh. And um, she said, I've I've got a film. We're shooting in Richmond, and he said that you know you're the guy that I have to hire to cast it, which was in principal casting. Yeah. And I was kind of thrown by the whole thing. I'm like, I didn't even know he was he knew my name, much less mm -hmm. have my phone number. Mm -hmm. And um, so I called him later that night, and he goes, no, it's really, and he was very sweet, he goes, it's really fun to watch you when you get called to set and you have to mm. upgrade an extra. He goes, because you really get in there, he goes, you know how to pull a performance out of these people. Mm. And, he, and also, Richmond's not exactly a town known for a lot of actors, so with them shooting this SAG, modified, low-budget film, I was gonna have to do the same thing. You know, mm -hmm. I was, I'd seen a lot of theater in Richmond, so like I knew how to go to the theater actors and pull them in. Um, but he also knew that I knew how to tap into them and get a performance out of them. So that's, that was the, f that was the first like big solo movie that I did. It was up to Charquette and Rain Wilson. And, um, and then from that point on, I was a principal and extras casting director. So mm -hmm. I did that on most all of my films. I did, I moved to Savannah at that point and I was there for five years. Um, and it was, and then, like, that whole time you kind of had it... Was it brewing at that point that, like, maybe directing, like, maybe I'll gear up towards I was that, still, or? I was still trying to get Joey Stefano done. That was my end game. Okay. Like, I just wanted to get Joey Stefano made. And um, I on I met David Brown on, on the movie Killerman, Liam Hemsworth movie that I was the casting director on. And uh, they shot that in Savannah. And that's when we got to know each other. He hired me to cast a film in Atlanta, which ended up not mm -hmm. going, called Radiant. And then um, he started kind of poking around like what I was doing. And I was like, yeah, it, like I want to write, I want to direct, I want to do these things. And um, as he was gearing up with his own production company at that point, he, he wanted to read what I had mm -hmm. done. And I sent him uh, Undertaker's Wife, and he optioned <laughs> it a year before we made it. And, okay. um, and that was the beginning of uh, everything. That. That so... How long have you been pursuing the writing side of things? Because um, well, I guess for groundwork, I know that you've been you've been pursuing the act, or you've been acting in your life since, since you're a kid. Yeah. On the writing side in film, specifically screenplay, what's I studied your... screenwriting in college. Um, I went to work for Turner in doing development, but I was doing development for nonfiction series and specials, so I wasn't doing narrative film. Mm -hmm. um, and in 2000, 2000, um, 2000, because I was when I was like, I, this is important, because I was living in Atlanta at the time when I wrote the script. I wrote a script called How to Make French Toast, and it was a romantic comedy. Sandra Bullock's company was interested in it at one point, and then not interested. And then I had an agent here in LA, lit agent, who was taking it out. And in 2001, mm -hmm. there was an impending writer's strike. And so they were buying mm -hmm. up scripts left and right. And mine was slated to be bought on September 12th, 2001. And we, and I was at the time, I was doing extras casting at Central Casting. I was doing Alias and Crossing Jordan and Judging Amy mm -hmm. when September 11th happened. I mean, we were all in the office immediately and just all day long, we were on the phones with. Our producers and we were canceling extras like we were never not on the phone mm -hmm. and we were just focused on what the hell is happening in our country right now and so the next day which was supposed to be the big meeting with the script i looked down and i see the caller id come through on my phone that it was 20th century artist and the agency at the time and i just looked down and i'm like oh my god and i answered the phone and david said 
David Ankrum was my agent at the time. He said, he goes, buddy, I got some bad news for you. Mm -hmm. And I just remember hanging up the phone. Like I didn't even say a word to him. I just, I hung up the phone and I smoked at the time. I walked outside, had a cigarette, walking around the back lot of the of Central Casting, and I'm just thinking, my okay, I'm never going to be a writer. So to clarify, the way that you told the story, did you hang up before he gave the news? It was a romantic comedy about a plane crash. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, that ain't that's bad timing. It was never gonna happen. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, that was like that script was never going mm -hmm. to get bought, and mm -hmm. so. I walked around outside and I was like, well, clearly I'm just going to have to be a casting director. And mm -hmm. so from 2001 to 2006, I was... You kind of accepted your fate at that point. I did, point, yeah. In a way. And at Central Casting, like, you couldn't quit a show. Like, if you got, if they wanted you, and I, you know, not, not to, not to, not to badmouth Central Casting, but like, you know, the Mustang Ranch is a, is a brothel. And yeah. I used to say that I was the prettiest girl at the Mustang Ranch because I... When I left, I had 14 television shows and five feature films. And, um, and it's because I was always on set. I was always in the production meetings. I was always mm -hmm. in the tone meetings. I was very involved with all my shows. And, um, and I could get the numbers. I never had problems. Like, we were never down. There was never a show where it was like, mm -hmm. we had 30 people not right, show right, up today. Right. I was known as the Terminator. That if, if you didn't show up on one of my shows, I'd terminate you. Mm. And um, so it but people wanted to work on my shows because I took care of them. And so when I left Central Casting, I, I did a little bit of reality television. I did the first season of Celebrity Rehab, which was, oh my God, it was, uh, it was intense. It was really intense. And, um, and then I kind of floated around and worked in a, uh, worked in a hotel uh, as a night auditor. And then, and then I ended up working with this actress. So kind of kind of yeah. uh, shapeless there for for five years yeah so I guess like prior to um, the sale not going through you 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 took you took screenwriting in college yeah I was kind of curious about like I don't know yeah so I, the is 2006 um, I you know I, I've been at Central for so long I was worn I was tired like I, I was getting a doctorate in film production Hmm. By sitting in on all these writers, oh, right, you right. know, like mm -hmm. I get to work with J.J. Abrams, I got to work with Tim Crean, and um, the last I quit Central Casting, and I got hired by the showrunners of Crossing Jordan for the last season. So I got to be the showrunner's assistant, which was just it was the best because I got to be in the writers' room. I was mm -hmm. the only person in on the floor that had been on the show since the pilot. Like writers would come and go. Right. Uh, writers would come in and start to pitch an episode. I'm like, yeah, that was 301. <laughs> like I, I knew the episodes. I we'd, we'd storylines mm -hmm. we'd done before. Um, and so, at that point, I started writing again. And um, they were if had we gone another season, I would have been the staff writer that mm, season. Okay. Um, Warner Brothers. Susan Rovner, who is Robert Rovner's wife, mm -hmm. and at the time was the head of television drama she was head of head of something 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 at warner brothers uh i'd written a pilot called mercy she loved it and uh she tried to put it through the ranks and it didn't go anywhere because at the time it was a serialized show and nobody was nobody in television at that point was buying serialized they everything had to be standalone it had to be episodic and um she tried to get me on uh first season of vampire diaries with kevin williamson mm -hmm. um and 
so, you know, again, I'm just kind of floating here and there. And then I wrote a feature film called The Telling. And do you remember back when they had the tracking boards? You'd hear about these infamous tracking boards. Like, it was only an agent assistant or, like, a manager's assistant. It was like, uh, so there was a computer database called, well, I mean, it was a thing that yeah. like, they'd all log into. It was all, it's, it's like the clubhouse of, of, sure. of the day. And they would talk about mm. uh, scripts that they liked or things that, you know, it was an industry thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who this woman was, but she, she posted, she goes, whatever you do, don't read the telling at night. I haven't slept in two nights. And the next day, my manager had 54 inquiries for the script. Mm. And all I did for like three weeks was just go around meeting people and, and talking about it. And it was a, it was a possession-based script, but it was at the wave. Like, nobody was really doing possession-based movies at that point. But they were, that, that wave was coming. Mm. And um, it just sucks because the deal never closed. I mean, it was... Yeah. It never got made. Uh, and it's one of those scripts that, to this day, like, it still gets brought up. Like, mm. whatever happened to that? Well, can we make that now? And even David's like, maybe we can go back and revisit it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it but it takes place in Savannah, which is, you know, where I've spent a lot of time. Right, right. And... Um, that was the beginning of the whole writing thing again, mm-hmm. because I was taking these meetings, I was getting to meet with all these people, but you know, I was not, I wasn't in my twenties anymore. You know, I was, I was late thirties at that point, okay. and um, uh, so I was, you know, they weren't really interested in hiring the the late thirties white guy to be in the writers' room, mm-hmm. and so tell, so that kind of wasn't really an option for me, no matter what, how many meetings I went on. They would want somebody younger, uh, somebody, uh, females. I mean, they you, more diversity in the yeah, writer's room than yeah. me. Yeah, <laughs> so for sure. I didn't, you know, they weren't, they weren't really interested in, in hiring me. But um, during this time, 2006, seven, uh, I met Sean Hayes and Todd Milliner over at Hazy Mills, and we started the process of taking out a pilot that a year ago tomorrow we would have taken mm-hmm. to uh, Universal again uh, when the whole world shut down because it's it's the 13th right now. We'll yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but um, uh, we're still trying to get that project made. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually writing as a novel right now just to have it as a property. Oh, right, right. I was going to ask about that. I do want, all right. One thing I'm very curious about, which I don't know, is a little bit of a sidetrack. But it uh, it involves the casting director side. Like you mentioned, that you got to be an assistant to a showrunner. You yep. got to be in different rooms. You got to witness stuff. You got to collaborate. I guess you were collaborating with, I would call them like you know like top tier creatives. Yeah. Uh, I am curious from your perspective, what the, like what kind of conversations you get to witness, and what the difference is between like a J.J. Abrams having a conversation yeah. about a thing that involves whatever that is, and, you know, like a not as experienced director, what, just like, because I I assume that you pick and grab stuff that you apply to yourself when you're directing. Totally, yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Um, And what was great, like Cross and Jordan, alias Judging Amy, those shows, and even uh, Paris Barclay, who was the showrunner at the time on Cold Case, Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, he's, I think he's still the president of the DGA. Um, He was awesome. Like, he was, he was, he was a big champion for me on the show, and, um, we had worked together on a couple of, I think we worked together on Judging Amy, and um, we became friends through that. And then on Cold Case, he requested me on the season that I did with them. Um, but the thing about 
you think about it, it's a J.J. Abrams, but back sure. in the day, he was just like, yeah. he had done Felicity, and he had, um, he was prepping Lost, but, you know, he had this show about a chick who wore a lot of wigs, mm -hmm. and, and it was a successful show, and, but the thing about J.J., and he's always been open to anybody on the crew, he's always had an open door policy, he's always been open to suggestions, and end of season one, um, Valentine's Day 2001, uh, I remember because it was we had the whole the craft service had a big Valentine's Day spread, and I had seen uh, Queen of the Damned the night before. Mm -hmm. We had we were at the, as the scripts were progressing, they were talking about Sydney's mother and how she had died, which clearly on that show anybody the second somebody mentions you're dead, that means they're about to show up again, and so we knew that they were in the process of casting that mother. And I had seen Queen of the Damned the night before. I knew that J.J. was a huge fan of like 80s and 90s, like bringing those people mm -hmm. back into those kind of roles. And I like, I just, it was that moment of like, I have, to, I have to say this. And I said, and they were talking, he and one of the producers were talking about an actress that they were looking at for the mother, for Irina. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, there's really only one option. And he turns around and he smiles at me, he goes, enlighten me. And I said, Lena Olin. And, uh, and, one of the, and he cocked his head to the side and uh, one of the producers said, is she even still alive? And I said, well, I saw her in Queen of the Damned last, because she hadn't worked in a long time. Mm -hmm. She'd taken some time off. And I said, well, I saw her in Queen of the Damned last night. Cut to, you know, she's the mother. And April Webster, who's my favorite casting director on the planet, she was our, you know, she was the casting director on the show. We would always sit next to each other in, in, the, in the production meetings. Mm -hmm. And um, every production meeting, April would go through her mail because actors would send okay, their mail to right, her right, right. back when actors would mail headshots and postcards. and They still try that, I hear. Yeah, and I, I, I strongly encourage it because it's okay. a way of getting yourself out there. But um, they would send them to the production office, and April would always make a pile of yes, no, and maybe. And, uh, and the yes and maybe, she would, if they invited her to a showcase or a play, like she would try to go. Um, she, had, I don't know what her schedule is now, but back then, like she really was an advocate for actors, and she w really wanted to find and discover actors. And... Um, we were sitting next to each other in the production meeting, and I, I mentioned that I, I said I suggested Lena, and uh, and she turns to Mandy Sherman, who was her associate at the time, and she said it was Chad, <laughs> and, and I was like, what? And she's like, we were wondering where that came from, and uh, and then she told me who she came up with, and it was a really good idea. Yeah. It was a really really good yeah. actress, and I was like, oh my god, I'm sorry. And she's like, no no no, it's like, you know we're everybody's excited about getting Lena, but that's just like the casting process. It, you always get. There, for any role, there's hundreds of great actors that can play sure, that role. Sure, It's not that that one role has to be played by that Cause, one person. Because that's something I always get confused about because, like, I... Because I direct, like, little small things yeah. and I'm trying to work my way up in my own kind of stuff, too. So when I think about, like, I've never had the luxury or the, the, the pleasure of working alongside a casting director yeah. or a casting team. So I always wonder about, how, like, how that works because the director has an idea... You're coming with ideas. Yeah. And then, like you said, you have like a pool of, let's say, 100 people that you're like considering. Yeah. And then it's like, all right, well, it seems messy and weird. And, and sometimes it's, it's, it's arbitrary as, oh, well, she, our lead actress is a blonde. So that right, takes out right, all the right. blondes, no, you know? Sure. Or, uh, or our lead actor is 5'4. Yeah. That yeah. takes out all the actors, you know? It's, so it, it does, like, even on Alias, like, if you watch the show, You'll notice the only time you ever see a, a woman who is shorter than five, five, and even then she's in heels, is when we were in a club scene. Because all that mattered in this club scene, everybody had to be hot. 
It didn't matter what kind of club it was. Okay. They all had to be hot. And but any time else that you see like Sydney walking through the campus or <laughs> Sydney walking through the, the CIA, um, all of the women were between five six and five nine. Sure. Yes. There's. It was, it, it's difficult. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm kind of curious on like I don't. This is almost like more of a numbers thing, but what I had what was a question like in terms of the percentage chance that the person being cast was yeah. suggested by the casting mm -hmm. director versus like the director had ideas or like if it's, if it's all casting or what I or how that looks yeah so I have in my very recent past I've been working on. Um, again, trying to get out of casting, but sure, we've been in the middle of a pandemic, you, and I'll take whatever. Yeah, <laughs> so, but, yeah. Um, but I've been hired to cast uh, several low-budget mm -hmm. films, and I'll, sometimes you like you've got the the producer who's who's going to finance the film, and they'll they'll be like, sure, we'll get that actor who's number twenty-seven on the IMDb mm -hmm. star meter. And there's no way in hell you're ever going to get that actor. And um, especially when it's a genre film, if it's a horror, if it's a thriller, if it's a vampire thing, if it, whatever it is, there's certain CAA is not going to look at a Schedule F for Tom Cruise for your vampire movie. It's mm -hmm. just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and yet there are direct, and I'm just using this as an example, like sure, I'm not, sure. but it's like, you have to be realistic in your expectations of who you're going after. And um, if they have, like, vampire, like, we would never go after Ian Summerholder for a vampire movie right now because he just played a vampire for years. Mm -hmm. And that's, he's not going to be interested in doing that film for a schedule. It's just not going to happen. Um, but a lot of times directors don't see that. And they don't, they're like, oh, well, he's already played that before. And it's like, yeah, oh, okay. there, there's a reason why that doesn't happen. The other thing that really has sucked about the recent past is I, I was working on a film that I quit. I've never quit a film before, and I quit this one. Mm. And they were just not realistic about any of their expectations. And um, it, it was involved uh, um, a gay character, several gay characters, that they wanted name actors on uh, of a certain age. And uh, they were shooting somewhere not where the actor lives. So they're going to have to travel to another state mm -hmm. to make $2,500 a week in the middle of COVID. Right. That's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand that, I can't help you. And suddenly, like, I'm the bad guy for telling them that you're never going to get Victor Garber. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. never going to happen. Because the expectation was if we have Chad help out with this, we can lock that person in and just do your job, get the person in the, like, yeah. that kind of, like, exactly. expectation? Okay. Yeah. And years ago, there was a movie that, mm -hmm. uh, that I was hired to cast. It was not a good script. But, I mean, I took the check. I mean, it was a good check. Uh, but, I mean, again, like, all I can do... I can make the offers, and like the it was not a great script, and it was uh, a female-driven thriller, horror, and the the first option they wanted to go to was Renee Zellweger, and this was before Renee had done What If, and you know she before she had like kind of made her comeback, yeah, yeah, and um, or not even comeback, like she just started working again, like she she, sure, she sure. like fight her way, a little through. bit of resurgence, right, yeah. but um. 
you know, we made a respectable half million dollar offer plus points, but she wasn't interested. And it was like suddenly I was the bad guy that I didn't get Renee Zellweger. I'm like, it's your script. You do understand that, right? I'm not a sorcerer. That's mm-hmm. that's a big line that mm-hmm. I always use when I'm in casting. I'm not a sorcerer. And um, uh, and then the actress who we were going to end up hiring before the whole movie went away, um, she's you would know her. She pops up in everything. Uh, but her agent wanted $150,000 for her. And the reason is, is because it was a genre film. They weren't going to take a schedule off against that. They, they wanted more money mm-hmm. and, and points and a rewrite. And, you know, and respectively, she sh- absolutely should have asked for the things that she asked for. Um, and again, like at that point, they were ready to fire me. And one of the producers called me and she said, and this was after five actors. We had, there were five actors that we had went out to. And, um, I, um, and again, I, Renee Zellweger, like, we don't know why she passed. We can assume it was the script as that's why the other actors passed as well. It just was not a good script. Mm -hmm. Sure. That happens. People write bad scripts and then think they can get made into movies. Yeah. Yeah. And that would make sense from the actor perspective for sure. It's like, well... Yeah, the script is not where I'd like it to be. So for me to come on to this, this is what I need. Yes, and yes, blah, yes, blah, yes. Blah. It sounds if they're gonna, you know, if if there's some hook in there that they think they can work, they're gonna request script. I mean, even with, um, with the intelligent, my my next thing, mm. like I'm going to all the actors, like this is what I have, but let's collaborate on it. Like, is there are there things that you want to incorporate? We can talk about that later because one of the actors, like we're really re- reshaping the character mm. to some of her culture. Um, but, um, so yeah, so they, they brought me in to fire me. And so I sat down and I, like, because I knew I had this knowledge going into it, the other three producers weren't looking at me. And I said, okay, first off, your script's a piece of shit. And, uh, and I suggested the only way, it was a first time writer director, Mm -hmm. which again, that's a whole other thing. Like trying to sell Renee Zellweger to a first time writer director, it's not going to happen. Right. It's not going to happen. Um, I said, your script's a piece of shit. It needs a page one rewrite. And it needs, you know, I would hire a female director, like a Mary Lambert, which is who I suggested, and have her, who's really great with stories. She teaches at NYU. She teaches film. Um, have her work with the director, writer, and hi- fire him as the director. Have him on board as the writer. They rewrite the script together. She directs mm-hmm. the film. And then maybe, you know, again, you have a female, you have a Mary Lambert. You know, she's the... She's the queen yeah, of horror. Yeah, film. You, like, you give the movie a chance with that kind of yeah. Yeah. So you offered some suggestions. I did, and <laughs> um, and they agreed to all of my suggestions. So they went from, you know, mm-hmm. firing me to like let's talk to Mary Lambert. And that's when you quit. Um, no, the then the the writer director was not. Oh, he was like, that. no, I'm not doing that. This is my baby, and I'm like, peace out. So it and it just mm-hmm. never it the whole thing never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but. So many times, mm-hmm. first-time filmmakers, independent filmmakers, people that are trying to make budgets under $2 million, they think that just because, oh, we're making a movie. Oh, actors need to make their insurance. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Lena Headey's going to do my film. Or, no, or, no or, she's not. Or, <laughs> so. or, I guess, more on the, the positive outlook side, too. It's like, my passion is there. This yeah. is like, they'll buy into yes. The, yes. this. And if I just have a chance to talk to them or... Whatever the thing is, they're like they'll believe in me and they'll jump on right. and try to support. And right. Yeah. Which is a it's some it's a tough sell and it's, it's a very tough sell. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes like an actor will like they'll 
take the offer. And it's like, and let's, let's, let's like, example, let's say like, give me an actor from True Blood. No. Who's not Stephen Moyer? I, I've only seen a few episodes of True Blood. Or, or any show, <laughs> any, any like sort of long-term episodic show that's been successful. Any? Um, David Schwimmer. Does that count? David Schwimmer. That's a great example. So David Schwimmer, great example. He was on Friends for years. He's been producing his own stuff. So say that we have a $2 million, 1.5. We have a $1.5 million film, three-week shoot in uh, L.A., but it's like a biopic, or it's it's about like mm. uh, a, the guy who discovered the the her two gene, you know, the cancer gene, something that's like that could speak to him that he's interested in in exploring. Uh, it could be a, about a moment in time, and that he's playing a historical figure. He might be interested in doing that, but I would not take my little uh, my little movie, The Telling to him at a Schedule F for three weeks because it's a horror film, it's a genre. When you look at, and now that people like Patrick Wilson have made a killing mm -hmm. doing these movies because they do work at a certain rate and then they make all their money in the back end. And so that's, some actors do sure, take that. Sure. I mean, when you look at the, the original Purge, those actors, you know, when you look at the concept of it, and again, it wasn't a huge budget movie. The Purge, uh, the first, uh, The Conjuring wasn't big budget. Yeah. That's um, what studio? That's um, Blumhouse. Blum, yeah, that's yep. a, that's their model, right? Is yeah. Bring the bring them in with a with a low commitment, money side. Like everybody buys into that model, yep. with the promise that one of these is going to explode, and then. And, but it's also their studio, so it's right, like right. it's not you and I, with a rich aunt. You know, it's, right, right. That's. So it's, it's, it's about expectations, I think. So I, I guess, like, one follow-up question that I had as uh, maybe to, well, I don't know, last bit of casting stuff, but, like, have you, being that it is so difficult to get, let's say, like, a name for, or you don't really deal, you, you don't have a history of dealing with the indie stuff more. That's more of, like, a recent thing that you've said, yeah. right? I was gonna, yeah. Because I was, was going to ask about if you've seen any, any circumstances in which you have seen a... Uh, I don't know, like a Reese Witherspoon or something, jump onto an indie when... Uh, yeah, and it, it, because sometimes they're... I mean, and, and, she, why, and why they do it or whatever, you know. Like right. That, yeah. um, they're... Um, it depends on the story. Like, there's... My friend Ruth Coker Burks, I'm, I'm so bummed. She sold her, her movie rights to her life and, and to the book mm. that she wrote. Uh, but she was a woman who, back in Arkansas in the early 90s, she began taking care of all of these men who were dying of AIDS. And so back in the day when we first met each other, this was like in 16. So we've known each other for five years. Um, uh, I was like, I want to write this story. I want to write this story. And, and I'm like, this is the kind of movie that, that because of this, like, and, and anybody who read, read the story was like, whoever plays this role is going to win an Oscar. And so, I mean, at the time, Jennifer Lawrence would have been a great Ruth Coker Burks. And the thing about Ruth is she goes, she goes, yeah, I don't know about her. Uh, you know, I think I want Amy Schumer to play me. And this is before Amy had, like, blown up. This was, like, she had done, I said, the chick from Last Comic Standing? And she's like, yeah, I, I think she's funny. And, of course, you know, Amy went on to do Trainwreck and, and hugely successful show on, on Comedy Central. And um, it was a great idea of casting. Um, either one of those names could have greenlit that movie. 
but it's about a specific period in time. It's a great, it's, it's a biopic. Now she's got the property as, as the book as well. Um, those are very different names for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it, very, very different. Yeah. But, uh, it, okay. I mean, but at the same time, what's funny is that they're very good friends. They're very, and they are very similar, but they are very different names. Um, but yeah, I, I, and now that I know Ruth I'm better, I'm like, yeah, that would have been Amy Schumer. Mm-hmm. That's who she is. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but recently, like, and again, I think it comes down to your expectations on your cast. Sometimes actors, and no, nobody likes to destroy the mystique of like why an actor takes a role. Sometimes it's just like, yeah, I needed a paycheck. Sure, uh, sure. Because when you when you look at actors, have to pay managers and 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 accountants and uh, agents and publicists, publicists, and... and so they're not. At the end of the day, a lot of actors are not making a lot of money off of these movies. They're getting their residuals and they're getting some back end, but it's mm-hmm. the bottom line is they're paying a lot out. Yeah, I, I guess like my my gut reaction is if I want Michael B. Jordan in my movie, the best likelihood of, of him being a part of it is like, oh, we, like I've known him since exactly whatever we've worked with each other a few times yeah. or like I've been on set or like there's that there's that connection there and the story is good and the schedule works and he's not tied to sequel to his Marvel movie, like all that kind of stuff. A like thousand his, percent, yeah. yeah. And, it, and what sucks is that it does so many times come down to relationships or right, like who which... knows who. Um, but that's also been like, Sarah Colonna, who was in Undertaker's Wife. Like, we became friends mm-hmm. uh, a year ago. And, I mean, Sarah probably would have done the movie, you know, had anybody asked her. She, she's just that kind of person. Like, she loves to act. She's very easy to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, now everybody's going to be sending her stuff. Uh, but she's awesome. You know, she's uh, she's she's opened, and she was a team player. I mean, the day that we we worked with her, we had a, we had to take a break uh, for a period of time uh, for a setup, and, um, and she was totally chill like so easy to work with mm-hmm. um but the it's no secret that we had some scheduling issues casting wise with undertaker's wife yeah you've been very vocal about it on social media and stuff yeah um, and i mean it's and the thing like it's part of the show because mm-hmm. there's a docuseries that right followed us i mean it's 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 not like that was a secret like no, no, everybody no. knows it what happen- happened it happens all the time <laughs> it happens all the time <laughs> It happens all the all time. Right, so what is the thing? I mean, because I know the story, but... On Undertaker's Wife, we had a docuseries that was filming the making of. And so the cameras from from the time I stepped off the airplane from mm-hmm. doing the play, the first night that I started prepping, they they caught me. You know, they we... we <laughs> at, at the time, we had just lost the lead actress at that point. But we still had our lead actor. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, the, and the timeline for that, just to clarify... was. Three weeks before, and we you were—that's okay. So you got to town, like you said, when you got off the plane. Like that was yeah, two weeks before. We two weeks before. Yeah, two weeks before we started shooting, and then yeah. you kind of get the news around that time, maybe or yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. So like that. So I guess the question Saturday. is: you you flew you you made your flight to LA yeah. knowing that your movie was cast. Was that like? Was that no? A, I I flew in knew, knowing. I think that that afternoon somehow it was like within like. 24 hours we knew that we had lost okay. our lead actress mm-hmm. because her agent had pulled her for some possible TV stuff mm. that she did not get um, and I mean I love she's a friend of mine and that's how I got her because we knew each other and um, and she loved the script and she wanted to do the film and it was a strong female lead and it, it didn't have to twist her arm like she 
-hmm. she read the script and she wrote me back and she goes, I'm in and all exclamation marks and like, please talk to my people. And she had just signed with new agents. So this was kind of a, a, a good thing, but then they wanted to put her on for pilot season mm -hmm. instead of my little, instead of my little film. And, um, but we had the lead actor. And so, you know, this all goes down on the show. Like I, I land and nothing holds you more accountable than having a camera in your face. And so I'm like, but I also knew from casting, you always get the right actor. I've never, in 30 years of casting, I've never had a show where it's like, you're up against the wire and you don't have the actor. Mm -hmm. Something's going to happen. You're always going to get the right actor. You're going to get an actor. It's going to work out. And so that's what I kept saying. You're like, oh, you know, we're, I'm a little stressed, but, but, you know, we always get the right actor in the end. And I do believe that. Mm -hmm. But it's still terrifying when you don't have that actor. And um, so Monday came and went. And then uh, Tuesday, we get a phone call that we've lost the lead actor. And it was because of a family emergency. So it wasn't like, oh, you don't have her now. I'm Peace out. Like, it was, he had a family emergency come up. So now we're having to recast the two. And yeah, we yeah. lost the kid. Because I had a kid. Um, we had, uh, we lost the kid Monday. When you say the kid, you mean the, uh, so, so the family. The family. Okay. We, yeah. we lost the one, two, and three. <laughs> the lead family yeah. that runs the whole movie. Yeah. yeah. And the thing was, like, we didn't, we could have easily replaced the kid, which we did. And, and the funny thing about that is we had 50, over 1,500 submissions for the, like I released the breakdown, 1,500 submissions six hours later, started sending sides out, um, and Cooper Devaney just, I mean, it was, there was nobody else. It was Cooper, and then there was everybody else. Mm -hmm. And Cooper is, he's going to be a megastar someday. Um, but, it, and he looks just like Shannon, who we mm -hmm. would end up getting, but, um, which, again, you always get the right actor. Sure, sure. And, um, you know, it would have been great to have had the, the original kid, but his agent called me and it was really kind of... It, never start off a conversation with me, you have a problem. Mm -hmm. I think we have a problem. Uh, but I had a problem because he was going to be recurring on a show in Canada, and so I was going to have to... F I was going to have to fly him back and forth like he was already oh, right, on my right. film like we had a deal memo um i was gonna have to fly him back and forth and i'm like how how are we supposed to do, like he works every single day like how am i supposed to teleport him back and mm -hmm. forth like that's not how any of this works and so that's why we had to replace with cooper so by wednesday we had i think we had cooper by thursday um i think i'd cast him thursday um i did a zoom with him um, and or <laughs> Skype. <laughs> that was before the Zoom. Back in the day. Before the Zoom was a thing. Um, and uh, and then our, suddenly our lead actor came back, and so we had him. We had him back on board again. I was like, oh, thank God, we have him. We had gone to another actress friend of mine, and uh, they were. And I'm currently negotiating with her on another film right now. Um, and uh, she wanted to do the film, and then we had her. And then the following Monday, we had lost her again. Mm -hmm. Wednesday. The following Wednesday, we had lost her again. And so we had, we had her for three days, and then we lost her. And I'm like, I'm freaking out. And I'm like, I go into David's office, and I'm like, I don't understand how this is happening. How did we lose her? And then my email goes off, and I get this very sweet email from her. She's like, I'm so sorry I can't do your film. My manager and my husband won't let me do it because I just had back surgery last week. And I'm like, honey, there's no way you could have done this movie. Mm -hmm. There's no way you mm -hmm. could have done this. But she really wanted to do the role. But she, 
Yeah, back surgery is kind of a limiting factor yeah. though, for just physically being able to yeah. show up. Do anything, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Much less the things that she would have to do in the film. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had to fly back to Atlanta to do the last weekend of the show, and we didn't have one, two on the call sheet. Mm -hmm. I mean, like the call sheet was going out, and it said TBD. Mm -hmm. And um, and again, like David and, I, and David had said at that point, he's like, "Worst comes to worst, we'll just cast unknowns." And I said, "Who are we? I I don't even have time to put a breakdown out, much less cast it at this point. Like we we can't even cast unknowns at this point." And so, like, well, we're gonna have to push production. Like, you were gonna have to step into a number. <laughs> yeah, and that was the, that was the joke. It was like this was your uh, and the, somebody said that on camera. The, the, that was my uh, master plan all along was mm -hmm. to play to play the two roles myself. And I was like, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course we're uh, we'd gone through some actors. We were dealing with an agent who was throwing out actresses' names, and they were quickly reading the script, like quickly reading the script, and passing very quickly. And um, and then uh, David called me, and I was getting into uh, makeup for the play, and he called me and he said, what do you think about Shannon Sossaman? I'm like, I love Shannon Sossaman. And then her manager called me, and he said, can you talk to her in 15 minutes? And I said, I can talk to her for 15 minutes in 15 minutes. It was 6.45, because the show went up at 7.30. Mm -hmm. And um, so we ended up talking at 7, and then the stage manager comes back, and she's like, 15. And I'm like, like looking at her in the mirror, I'm like, okay, I see you. And, but we always would hold it for like 10 or 15 minutes for the audience. And uh, she's like, 10, 5. And then she goes, places. And I, at, I'm at this point, like, I have Shannon on the phone. She hasn't finished reading the script yet, but I am pitching my heart out. Like, if I don't have her, I don't have a movie come Monday morning. Mm -hmm. And the stage manager, she, she comes, she goes, places, like, kind of, like, exasperated. And I, look, I said, I will be on stage when I get on stage, and you'll know it because you'll be looking at me. And Shannon goes, oh, you need to go. And I'm looking at the stage. I said, no, you are literally the most important person in my life right now. I'm like, I was demonic. I was like, mm -hmm. I have to have you. Like, I don't care. I said, that audience can sit there and wait for an hour. I am not leaving this phone. The show must go on, but it will go on without David Oselznik. Mm -hmm. And, um... And of course, the whole thing is David Oselznik is a crazy person. And so I went running. So Shannon's like, oh, go do your play. I'll finish the script and we'll talk soon. So I felt like I might have her, but I still didn't have her. Mm -hmm. And I go running backstage and I was like apologizing to the stage manager for being a crazy person. And I grabbed the doorknob and the guy playing Ben Heck goes, did you get your actress? And like the, the overture music is going and I'm like, I realized I don't have her yet. Mm -hmm. And you it gotta, was the greatest first act I've ever had because I was on pure <laughs> adrenaline the entire yeah, time. Yeah, you were method there. Yeah, but then, <laughs> method. Uh, but then I flipped over the phone and it was just a sea of text messages from everybody. Like, she's in, she's in. And so we had her at that point. So it was like so relieved at that point. Mm -hmm. But we still didn't have... The husband. The husband. And then one of the text messages, I called David and... And at that point, the stage manager's like, do you need five more minutes? I'm like, no, 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 I just give a quick call. And so uh, I call him, and he's like, what do you think about John Brotherton? And I, at the time, like, I knew who he was, but I didn't know who he was. And so I said, he sounds great. Can he be on set Monday morning? And um, so uh, John was reading the script. I closed the play. I'm in my car driving home, and we, John and I had this 30-minute conversation about the script and the character, and he was like, it's dense. He's like, there's a lot here. And, and I said, well, do you feel like you can, I mean, I know you've got 72 hours before we start rolling on this. He's like, no, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in for the challenge. That was, he was like really in for the challenge. Mm -hmm. And so we, we spoke that weekend, um, 
Saturday and Sunday, and uh, and then we we had a short day that Monday because it was just that first scene with them touring the house, um, and and then we continued talking. So like, John's a John's a total pro. Yeah, John was. I remember. Yeah, cause that was the. I think on social media you mentioned he signed on 24 hours before he was going to be basically on set yeah. playing the character. Which, yeah. Which... Yeah, because Shannon didn't work until Tuesday. She didn't work that first day. Okay. She came to visit the set, but she didn't... Yeah, because I remember as a script supervisor, I don't recall if that was like common knowledge day one, or maybe it was, because you're... Pro- I, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. But regardless, I'm thinking about like, there was never any issues with John being... Not having his like, I, I never had to like. He never had to call me for line. Yeah. I never had to like really go in there and be like, all right. So this is kind of what's going on. Here's the there's none of that, and I wouldn't if if I didn't know, yeah. I wouldn't have known because he was such a, he was he was on it from the get go. Oh yeah, like a, a thousand percent. Like he and he never like he never had a moment where it's like, oh, now that I'm playing it this way, I, I think I was not authentic playing at this other scene. Mm-hmm. Like he was, he was in from the jump. But I think it's also because we communicated. Like we had a big open conversation mm-hmm. about their relationship, like what he saw, the relationship to the kid, to the, to her, and how they both played the, the space between each other because mm-hmm. their marriage is, in a, is not in a great place. It was beautiful. Like, yeah. they, and they were, they really, they, I mean, it was, they didn't have any time. Mm-hmm. But they they totally created that relationship, and it was completely believable, and yeah, and it's beautiful on film. Because that's kind of like what acting comes down to, right? Is is making the decisions and committing to the decisions, and making them very quickly, and not really second guessing yourself. Yeah. So being that the half an hour conversations or the the night before conversations with the director can, you know, you can you can grab like, all right, this is my decision, 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 show up. Yeah. And, and be consistent throughout. Um, it's quite the quite the accomplishment. Yeah, so. and I, he just, I think also it's the fact that he's just such a genuinely nice guy. Mm-hmm. And like everybody, like he would hang out on set. Like he wouldn't, he wouldn't go back down to base camp. Like he would hang out, sit on the couch, you know, in between scenes that he wasn't in, uh, just to fill the space. And um, and he and Cooper did a lot of work together, just kind of hanging out and getting to know each other. So, I mean, and their relationship is completely believable as well. Um, I mean, it was a really, it was a really special movie because everybody, and also the, uh, the, the other supporting players who came in were, they created that world of the little mm-hmm. town that we had. Mm-hmm. And I guess, because we haven't really specifically mentioned it, but we should maybe have a little, have you say a little blurb about like what what's the story what's so the, the story what's is it? they by uh, the the Davis family um, have lost their they lost a child four years ago in a drunk driving accident and uh, they are as a trade they are a family who uh, are, are are morticians they in Chicago they had a a, a, fan, a funeral home uh, but after the death of their child they their marriage began to suffer. They they got out of the business. They didn't work for several years, so they buy this very historic uh, funeral home in in Georgia, uh, Goodland, Georgia, um, called the Duren House, which is this gigantic. It, it was a family of morticians who, over the generations, had embalmed and, and buried everybody in town. And it's a very small town, and they're the only funeral home in town. And the first night that they're there. 
uh, when they arrive in town and they're unpacking their, they hear sirens going off in the background and later that night somebody shows up to bury his brother because he was the drunk driver who mm-hmm. was involved in this crash and that's the first sign that they're like, oh God, not again. Uh, and also Jack, uh, John Brotherton's character, does not want his wife dealing with anybody involved in a drunk driving accident because we know that there's some sort of trauma there um, uh, because the drunk driver who killed their their child, she was driving the car. She was not the drunk. Uh, it was somebody else. Um, she walks in and he pulls a gun on them and then bad things happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, the, and the trailer's out there. Yeah. Wait, no, the trailer, the trailer public, right? I think it's I think it's still out there. If oh. not, there'll be a new one out soon. Okay, because I know I was I, I, I they, they did the trailer for the market, and so I was like, "Oh, you're giving a lot away in the trailer." And they're mm. like, "No, no, no, it's a trail, it's a trailer for the market. It doesn't matter." Mm-hmm. Uh, but they gave a lot away in the trailer. Okay, yeah, because I the because we're currently what month is it? Jack, March. Where are we? What are we in here? March twenty twenty five. Right. So this was. Uh, the expected release date was planned for October of last year. Right. So, and so it's 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 edited. It's all the way it's, through. Yeah. It's um, we're we're just finishing sound right now. But the problem, of course, was that with all the COVIDness of everything, I was supposed to be in LA a year ago this week, mm-hmm. cutting the film with uh, Gordon, our editor, and we had to do everything remotely. And I do not recommend having to do that ever because it was clunky or what. It was the it was a clunky experience for me, not for him. I mean, it was like he was doing the best he could, but he would send me like twenty minutes at a time. I would watch those twenty minutes. I would give ten pages of notes, send it back. He would send me the next twenty minutes, but then I'm having to go back and then rewatch this and then watch this and and then there were certain scenes that we would just like I would like send me all the dailies. Like I just want to watch everything so I can see what mm. we're missing here. Um, and there's nothing like being in the room with your editor and being able to say, well, I know that we have another shot of this, or like, I know that there's a shot here. Yeah, and just clicking right over, looking at it, yeah. placing it together. And well, instead, it's like, all you're doing is you're, you're just getting chunks so, of the movie so at a time. So it's kind of like delayed, delayed responses and whatnot. Like, there wasn't, so was, there, was there a way that, because I thought I've heard of some people doing like, I mean, like, when they, they, do like, they assume like screen sharing yeah. and being on the call. Like, I don't know. If... We didn't have that technology. And um, I, I've, I've had friends that have done that. Um, but it was just mm. easier this way to, I mean, it was annoying as hell. But, I mean, it was easier just to, like, give him notes and then rewatch the edit back. The other thing that happened, which was just a, a mishap, was somebody had, not the editor, but somebody had loaded the film incorrectly. So the first pass that I'm watching, I'm like, wait a second. Because, like, Igor had shot with, like, these oh. lenses and stuff that I was like, <laughs> I know I, I'm this is not the movie and then it's suddenly like boom mics are in the thing I'm like what is happening and then he said oh we got loaded wrong so the entire pass of the movie I'm not watching the actual movie I'm it's not and then Igor who did the color correction as well Igor's the DP mm-hmm. um, Igor's like oh my god he goes I'll correct it when I do the and so so then now the color corrected version is the correct version but it has the temp sound, the temp music to it. Mm-hmm. And Eric Schroeder's score, which is gorgeous, um, is to is is locked to the not correct, uncolor corrected. So it's like you're you're watching like four different versions of the movie. Yeah. And I haven't seen the whole thing together yet. Oh, okay. Eye rolls. <laughs> soon and very soon. But then and then of course, you know, as the as things happen, like 
your editor gets finished editing the film, your composer gets done composing the music, they're all working to the locked picture, yeah. Igor finishes the color correction, sound is in, in process, none of us are in the same mm-hmm. zip code, and um, and then COVID like shut everything down. And, and then uh, because of that, like the buyers, the studios, the, the, the distributors, the people that are going to put the film out there, they ran out of money. So like nobody's looking at your movie mm. in that time frame in the summer of last year. Mm-hmm. And so the deals that were on the table suddenly were no longer deals because yeah, we're that just person on, was yeah, gone. On, on pause, and, on hold, waiting yeah. out. So now, now that things are back to normal, <laughs> now that things are moving again, sure. uh, people are, you know, they're looking at films, and that we have, we've got some pretty great distribution deals on the on the table. They're not what they were a year ago, but that's just something that we all have to expect. I mean, it's either that or wait three years. Yeah. And. Nobody wants that. Yeah, because I, I, I figured, I don't know if this is a decision that comes from you or if it comes from, like, David and, and the producer level, but, like, I, I think about, it is nice to, like, all right, this is the situation now, lock it in, and let's just kind of move on to the next thing, because it, it releases at least that weight, where it's, yeah. like, it would be painful to be, like, all right, let's indefinitely wait on this and then still not get the thing that we had four years ago exactly. or whatever. Exactly, and that's what sucks. I mean, it's, like, I don't feel like the film's going to get buried, but it's like it's, and again, like people are running out of things to watch, and so there is that too. Um, but it's I'm I I almost kind of want to take it on the festival circuit mm. first because it's not mm. which is not going to happen. Um, but I've screened it for a couple of friends who've like seen like they've seen the the temp sound, but not the okay yeah yeah and. Um, it's exactly the movie that I wanted to make. It's not. It's not a scary like boo kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's a psychological thriller, and for the family, they are unaware of this entity in the house because they're really fighting their own demons in, in the story and, and the relationship and trying to get away with this thing that they've done. Right. And um, that really translates. And so, uh, and it's it's been fun to like get to that final moment of the film. And immediately, like, the people that you're watching it with are, like, asking questions about... And not, like, I didn't get it. But, you like, <laughs> <laughs> but like uh, they're putting together the pieces, like... It's, like, it's, the, like the world-building kind of lore yeah. kind of questions. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. All right, whoa, hold yeah. up. Oh, wait, so was that the... And that was the... Oh, and he was the... Oh, and that was the... And sure, they're putting... Sure. And, of course, cool. it's all questions that we leave open for the audience mm-hmm. to figure out. I'm like, that's the point. Um, but... They've, and then, but what's really fun is the those people that I've screened it for, because we've all seen screeners of friends' films, and it's like, oh my god, it was so good, and then you never talk about it again. But it's like days later, they're calling and, and at, like, okay, I'm that's really cool. thinking about this scene and the, the way that, and like, I was thinking about this thing, and then so it's so people are still thinking yeah, about it days later. And that's a good sign. Yeah. So as as far as the post production side, um, being that you've been entrenched in casting. And don't normally deal with the post side of things. Yes. Is my is my assumption. I don't very much so. So what? What aside from the COVID uniqueness of some situations? Yeah, I got, yeah you didn't. There was stuff. Pretend, it was, post started before COVID on this movie. It did. Uh, Regardless, 
I guess we're no, it I really. It, it, well, no, it did. It did start. It did start because I was supposed to be in L.A. Right. this Plan, week, plans a year were ago. Made. Yeah, plans were, and Gordon was already like he was cutting. Yeah, he was cutting as we were shooting. I think. So how was? I guess we talked a little bit about like the editing back and forth, but was okay. A thing when I'm directing, I always get stuck on the post side with like direction for the composers. There's uh-huh. like. I want to talk to you about this. So, like, what is what? Yeah, what stuff was coming up? How 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 crazy do you get in post? Me? Yeah, I'm I'm super indie side. I get very simplistic. I mean, so I'm. It's kind of similar to like what you're saying about the actor stuff. Where like I'm not really here to tell the actor what to do. I'm here to facilitate a conversation and get on the same page with what we want. So that's how I approach the back end as well with. All right, composer, I don't really know music. This is kind of like vibes and words yeah. and things. You kind of like, then they create some some, some, some option tracks. I forget what they're called. Uh, um, yeah. Well, yeah. Regardless, I, I don't know. I, yeah. Um, I try to have get you met Eric quick. Schroeder before? I don't believe. Unless he, he's the composer on Chasing Nightmares and he was a composer on... Unless he was on set. Unless he dropped on no, set. No, he was, he was yeah. He, um, he's done a lot of indies. He's fantastic. And mm-hmm. like he, we really, like I sent him some music that I'm like, this is what I hear. I mean, obviously not this music, but it's like, these are the sure, instruments. Sure, sure. But we really like, we started working out like, um, this is, you know, I want to hear this instrument. And he also, we had great conversations, like, I would play him something, and I was like, what are the instruments that are in here? And then he would tell me, I was like, okay, great, that oboe, I want that here, and this is how I, I hear it. And like, I would like play out notes for him. Mm. I can't play the piano to save my life. But I would pick it out, and he would incorporate that into the score. And, um, and he was really open to all my suggestions, and, uh, and I was like, I hear strings. Uh, I want this to feel... Like uh, a, a throwback to the psycho score, and not just the neat, 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 but like the entire strings. So there's a lot of strings that are in the in the score, and we we're already talking about as we we're moving into the intelligent, and he's doing the score for okay. that. We're going to talk about the tonally, like what that's going to be like mm-hmm. for for the intelligent as well, because I want the actors to kind of. It's it's been interesting sure, like talking sure. to the actors. It's like, yeah, I'd love to hear like what you what you hear as the as the movie. Because when you're looking at mood boards and stuff, it's like it's just kind of, it's kind of helpful for them mm-hmm. creating that world as well. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of um, oh, man, who's the guy that direct anyway? Joker. Um, um, Todd Phillips. Todd Phillips. There was there was the they've had talks about like there are some scenes where Joaquin Phoenix like they're trying to figure out like the scene isn't right. So just like, let's, what do we got? What do we figure out? And then like, they're in the bathroom. Like, that's where they were shooting the thing. It's like, okay, we have this bathroom thing. And then he's like, well, I just got some music from this, the composer. Let me just play this for you. And that kind of inspired like the dance thing in the uh, bathroom and whatnot. So having the composer and having that sound and the vibe yeah. can really help with. But what's interesting is like, uh, and I'm, de- I mean, obviously with Undertaker's wife, I had a few hours with them before we could really kind of dive into things. And what was great about Shannon is she she came to, the, she created everything about her character down to the costumes. Like she had her own closet. So she she wanted her own clothes that she, and she had done her own continuity on the clothes that she wanted. Um, uh, and 
I remember Jose, our costume designer, calling me. He's like, well, we're saving some money on costumes with her. And, um, but it, every actor works differently. And on, on The Intelligent, we have an actress who's, she's a, a, a name actress. She, you've seen her in, in lots of stuff. She is, uh, she comes from a culture that we are tying her character into the, the mystique of, of what she does in the film. And, um, but when she read the character, whoops, uh, when she read the character, it was a little on the nose, and um, which is why I cast her to kind of like change a little mm-hmm, bit. Mm-hmm. And um, and she, we had conversations about. She's like, "Well, this is what it, she was. If you're open to it, I said, "Of course, I'm open to it. I mean, I will listen to anything." And so she told me about what she saw the character as, like, what she would wear, uh, the kinds of clothes mm-hmm. that she would wear. Um, we talked about the culture. We talked about in her culture how people are buried. And um, so we, um, all of that's going into the script. So I was, of course, really nervous about sending her the rewrite. And she was asking for it Friday night. She's like, I want to get it in my bones. I'm like, oh, God, I'm not ready to show this to you yet. But I, you know, I was, mm-hmm. it was enough of a draft where we were sending it out to other actors. It was like, okay, well, yeah. here, here we go. And I was like holding my, you know, we already had her. The deal's closed. Sure. And she knows that we're, you know, it's a well, work in progress. But that's more, it's more of like a, a personal fear, right? Of oh, totally. trying, trying to get it yeah. right and, yeah. and respecting the culture. Yeah. Being that it's not your culture, I'm, and, I'm assuming. And don't know anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, because I've had that experience too when I'm trying to write, um, like, uh, I have a writing partner and she's um, part Korean. So we'll, have, we'll incorporate some Korean stuff and, and whatnot. And I'll get scenes where I'm writing for those characters and I'm just like I don't really know what it's like but yeah it just it feels it feels weird especially in today's day and age too where yeah you don't want to appropriate something yeah where there's there's the risk of somebody watches the movie and they have an issue and then they look at who directed it and it's like oh that's why there's an issue so trying to stay ahead of that in some way yeah yeah and so it's like I wanted her to I wanted her to be, and I said, just keep in mind, it's a work in progress. You and I haven't talked about it yet. And so she wrote me back. She goes, no, it's beautiful. Like, and she, she loved it. So I'm like, all right, well, you and I next week will Zoom about finalities of things. But, you know. Sure, just, sure. It's in a good spot for yeah. now. It's, yeah, exactly. So, cool. uh, yeah. It's good to hear. <laughs> but <laughs> it's stuff, terrifying. That stuff's scary. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very scary. Because you don't want to, like, uh, you know, not, and, and appropriate isn't the right way. You don't want to get somebody else's culture wrong. Sure. And Which I think is, I think it's good that it's scary. Like you don't want to jump into it assuming that you know everything about everybody, right. and then and then, I don't know. It's, there's consequences for that yeah. kind of stuff. Yes, there is. Yeah. And so, but uh, but she's awesome. And then the you know the other actors. One of course with casting, like one of the big fears is uh, our our lead actress. She's at you know one of the big agencies, mm. and so you're dealing with. Uh, a thousand people on her team and uh, you know trying to close that and it's, that's going to happen with any casting no matter who who you were dealing with it's you're never your first offer is never the first off, is, not, is never the final offer mm. and um, especially for a number one or two you're going to go back and forth and uh, and David is so good at negotiating I get so like I get so spooked by all of that stuff and he handles it like a champ, which is why he's a producer. Which is why that's his job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't mind it. But we finally closed her mm-hmm. Thursday, mm-hmm. and it was like this relief that came in waves. That was like, oh, thank God we have her. 
two hours later, it's like, oh my god, we have her. Oh my god, we have her. Oh my god, she's done. Like, it, it, which is so different than oh yeah, I think last I, time. I, I think <laughs> I, which I think I teased you on. On I, I commented on your Facebook post too. I was like, I hope you're not jinxing. Oh right, yeah, this, totally, yeah. With this thing, but um, I mean, you know, we with the other actors, like we were. You know, the actress that we had originally set, uh, we were in the process of doing her contract, which is why her agent was able to yank her, because she wasn't officially closed yet. Yeah. She wanted to do the film. And uh, it was interesting, though, because it was like, she and the kid as well, who we originally had cast, like, we didn't speak for a while. It wasn't, it wasn't on me. It was like, I mean, you're the one who fucked me mm-hmm. by leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, it's... Again, it's you can't take, and the biggest thing, the biggest lesson is you can never take this personally with actors. Yeah. You I mean, can never I, take your friendships. Personally. Well, I feel like that's just across the board in the industry in, in yeah. general too. Where like I, I don't know, cause being that everything is always in flux, even when somebody means well, and they're like, "Yes, we totally want you. You're going to be on," and they're like, "Well, let's say on my end, it's like, well, there's no contract yet. Yeah. I haven't signed in." And you're just kind of waiting for everything to kind of solidify, and 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 people will say all the right things and get out of the conversations and be like, "All right, in our eyes, you're in. You're totally yeah. going to be there." And then it just doesn't happen, or something changes, or even yeah, it's, or or there's some other decision maker, that, or they're lying. Yeah, one of, one yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they, but there's always some other decision maker that's like. Right. Like I, there was an actor that, um, yes, a friend of mine who's, who's, who just worked with an actor who I had auditioned for mm-hmm. another film. And uh, I was like, oh my God, I love him. Uh, tell him I said hi. So he goes to him and says, you know, oh, Chad Darnell says hi. And apparently he got this huge attitude because he was convinced <laughs> that he was going to be in this film that he auditioned for for me. And I was like, I literally did not indicate in any way, shape, or form that you were going to be in the film. Like, right. I knew from the audition, this was not going to be the role for you. I think that he's talented. I think that he's growing. Like, I think that he's, you know, he's not uh, Lawrence Olivier at this point. But um, sure. Uh, but then I found the audition. I sent it to my producer friend last night. I was like, did I ever indicate that he had the role or, like, make him believe? And he's like, no, it's clear. And it, But also, it was like, it just wasn't, again, he was, he's a good actor, he was not right for that role. Yeah, and was that, I'm assuming that's some sort of either miscommunication or just actor assumptions. Assumption, yeah, I think it's it's assumptions, yeah. Where it's like, yeah, the director personally reached out to ask for an audition, therefore yeah. I assume yes. that that's a, a thousand percent. just, you know, yeah. What, what's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You get what I'm trying to say. Yeah, reach because that's exactly <laughs> what happened, because I reached out to his, I, I think his agent, his, this is for Installation, which is the next movie that I'm doing after Insta, uh, Intelligent. Dang. And uh, it's SAG Ultra Low. Mm-hmm. And what I'm so excited about this is that I'm doing, we're shooting it in Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. It's a $130,000 budget, 10 day mm-hmm. shoot. Um, I mean, it's scale plus 10 for all the actors, which is 206 a day. And, um, but it's a Hitchcockian. Is this a Blumhouse model? Are you going for that kind of, or is this, yeah, this just like is, this, this is ha- the new? This is just have fun with friends kind of thing. Yeah, but it's um, it's a it's a script that I wrote several years ago. Like I wrote it, two thousand thirteen. I wrote it thirteen, and my friend Jason Mark uh, he called me and he said, "Hey, I'm starting a company with uh, a friend, mutual friend of ours." Um, and we're looking to get into like making indie gay films, and 
uh, we're going to start off doing shorts, and that's why I was asking about the camera because they were getting mm. the new. Can- I think it's the Canon C7. It's, it's whatever the new, the new. I, I'm not saying. Like <laughs> they keep talking about sure. it. Like, it it's, sounds it's, great. It's, <laughs> new, it's new and they love it. Therefore, you're like, sure, let's go right. for it. Right, and they, yeah. of course, they know what cameras are. I mean, they they know every. They, I mean, they can pull that thing apart and put mm-hmm. it back together again mm-hmm. with their eyes closed. Um, and they're very excited about the, the and the mark and all the, all those things. So they're looking for a script. And I was like, you know, we want to talk to you about maybe writing something, maybe doing something with us. And because Jason edited Birthday Cake, so he's seen me act. Okay, okay. Um, and I said, yeah, or we could do installation. And Jason's like, oh, thank God. He's, I was hoping you were going to say that. Because it's it's a simple shoot. You're in a house, you're at a hero house for like seven of the 10 days and a couple of other out, outside locations. Mm-hmm. Shooting in Palm Springs is super easy because you don't have to worry about parking. It's, we all know people out there. It's like, can I borrow your house? You have to get the permits, obviously, but like it's super, super easy to get done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know like caterers, people. We know fr- we have friends that are out there. The only thing we'll have to do is like some of the actors will have to put them up in hotels and pretty them and all that sure, stuff. Sure, sure. And you have enough to cover that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. But with the um, shooting in the summer, like a lot of the hotels, it's the off season. So we can get discounted rates. And so we're talking about that. Because mm. um, it's, it's hot. It's going to be hot. Yeah. But we'll be inside for most of it, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and then some of the the sexier scenes will that we'll be outside or in a pool, and um, but it's it's a Hitchcockian thriller about an open uh, relationship that mm. one a one night stand that goes really really bad, mm. and um, the the great thing about my crew is they all work in the porn industry. That is great. So tell me more. Why is that great? So how does that work? Because I have you. Uh, the, I'm not. I'm not. From, okay. So sure. they had. So my friend Zach has been coll- quietly collecting all this camera grip and electric. So if you're in Palm Springs and need a camera grip and electric, <laughs> he's been quietly collecting all this camera grip and electric. And he like he tells me like, yeah, I've got like I'm gonna be renting out all this gear. And I was like, okay. So I went to visit him in November. He's got a warehouse full of this stuff. I'm like, wow, did you get... He's like, yeah, people just give it to me. And, like, mm-hmm. he's been buying it up. And he's a photographer, John Pascal, who's a business partner of his. He's a famous photographer, owns the restaurant 849 on in, in Palm Springs. They've just been doing this gear mm-hmm. for a period of time. So, I mean, it's it's a lot of gear. and um, But he owns it. And he's going to be a, a co-producer right, of the film. Right. So we're not having to rent anything. Mm-hmm. Um, right, but as far as the benefits of the crew coming from the porn industry. They, they're total. I don't want the overlap of. So, they, so there is a so, guy. So they're, a used, guy, they're used to shooting indie style is kind of yeah, what you're and the, uh, the funny thing was I, was I was asking, like, what's the daily rate that you pay on people? And he goes, he said, well, he goes, we don't really pay daily rates. And I said, what? And he's like, yeah, I mean, everything's hourly. Because we don't know if it's going to take like twenty minutes to shoot the scene or, or four hours. And I said, well, imagine it's going to take me ten hours every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, I was like, oh, okay. Like it's just a different, different mindset right, of how they right. work. However, you will be hard pressed to find anyone who is more, uh, COVID safe. Like, you walk into Zach's studio, like he's taking your temperature. You have to wear a mask. Everybody's eight feet apart. Like. And they've had no issues of COVID mm-hmm. the entire time they've shot. Um, everything is sanitized. He's you know, COVID compliance, which is a huge issue in any production right now. Uh, they have their own compliance, so that's a huge load off and huge savings of the of the film as well. 
Um, but also, like his crew, the Camera Grip and Electric, they all, they work exactly as if it were, you know, the intelligent. Um, it's, yeah, yeah. I, I almost kind of imagine that they're taking a pay cut to do the thing. Yeah, they are. Yeah, because yeah. it's... Yeah. Because their hourly rate, you know, I mean, they, 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 and they're professionals. They know exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And the difference with this film, uh, and, you know, the, the, one of the main differences is that they're, they tend to have to just get the shot. There's not like a lot of shot lists that they do in advance. <laughs> sure, sure. So, um, uh, and we, but I mean, as far as their camera work goes and as far as their lighting and, and editing, you know, Jason, one of the things that I used to tease him about, because I would talk about him in all the festivals, I'm like, I want Jason Mark to edit all, all my films because because of porn, like, he knows how to cut around the bad acting and get straight to the action. Hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so I mean, they're, the editing process, I mean, oh. the full suites, the color correction, everything that goes into making a movie, it's the same technology yeah. that okay. they use. The, so the major difference is sitting down with everybody and exploring the the shot list and and storyboarding everything and that's something that we'll have to do with that movie and i i have my little ken dolls uh oh, nice. we're we're literally like taking we're shooting the movie with ken dolls in advance so we have story because i'm going to be in the movie because mm -hmm. i never get to act okay. in stuff that i you know so wow. um so that way we have storyboards of everything in advance so there's no question of how to do it and yeah. I'm, I'm really excited and they're just they're they're just such a great group of guys and uh they're so funny and kind and all of them i think all of them are sober oh, a couple of them i mean it's like they're all like grounded good people that mm -hmm. you just want to be around mm -hmm. and they just happen to yeah and, and be that's definitely the scenario you want when jumping into a project like that like you gotta you got a vibe and, yeah. and and definitely everybody's got to buy into the premise and, and the passion's got to be there. Yeah. And, and everybody is because they're excited to do their first like legit, as they keep calling sure, it, sure. Uh, uh, the uh, first legit film. And uh, so it's exciting. <laughs> it's ex I'm really excited about this. <laughs> so um, I was going to ask, being what, how, how are you approaching... Because you got two features technically in pre then at that point, at, the, at this point, is how are you approaching them differently? How are you taking yeah. your pre-production experience with The Undertaker's Wife and, like, what are you doing differently from that to these I was, two? I was thinking about that last night, knowing that we were going to be talking about the pre-production process because we have that entire docu-series to go back and look at, like, right. this was the process. I was so stressed about the cast mm -hmm. that... I don't think I was really concerned about pre-production, and I should have been, but I think it was like Heidi was doing the schedule. Jose was was uh, costuming the talent. I would go in and like approve things. Um, Igor and I had our office, and we would sit down, and for days when I was in the office, because I was having to fly back and forth, we would talk about color, we would talk about tones, we would talk about... Mm -hmm. Uh, lenses. He would show, he he and the team went out and shot test shots of stuff, and so that was that was really the conversations that we had in pre production. We're still casting mm -hmm. um, because I I do from my perspective. I remember, and you can maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but like as far as shot list and stuff, I do remember we we would have we would kind of have like our our 
our, our meeting before we shoot a scene and we kind of right. go over like, all right, here's what's happening. And then you'd kind of go over and like point at stuff and, and block stuff. And then Igor would be like, all right, we got uh, eight shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so is that different now? Are you, are you going into it more with a... And let me ask you this. Was that... Because, I mean, we never went into overtime. Correct. Except one day where we had to because we lost. But that was the plan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we knew, yeah. Um, I don't feel like anybody was thrown by the fact that we didn't have a shot. And part of that reason we didn't have a shot list was because we literally just toured the house one time and didn't get to go back into it. So it was like, sure, sure. you couldn't really like, I mean, I had a video, but I mean, there was no real way of shot listing that movie without having spent several days in it and been like, yeah, I think in this scene we'll have her here and him here. Mm-hmm. I wanted the actors to be able to fill the space and, and, and not dictate, okay, you're, there were a couple of times when, there were a couple of times when I said, okay, I need you to do this and, and to get to here. Right, and, right, right. Um, that did, was not always met with the greatest of enthusiasm, mm-hmm. uh, but it was because we were outside and losing the light and we had lost three hours because of technical issues. And, um, uh, I mean, to answer your question, I do not think people were thrown by that because our crew, like, it was, it's, it's technically an indie, an independent film, and and we had we had a decent budget to play with. Yeah. But it still had the indie roots as far as the crew. We're all very familiar with the process yeah. of. Me as a script supervisor, I'm like the shot lists normally go out the window anyway. It's just like it is nice to sometimes know that there is some plan, some initial plan yeah. to start with versus like all right, here's the. Like, I'm, I'm totally down with, like, all right, here's what we need to get to cover the scene. Yeah. But sometimes there's, like, well, I have the vision of this is, uh, we're going to pan from this to this to reveal this. And this is kind of, like, right. the visual right. reason. Like, stuff like that. We kind of went at it with what with what the crew was comfortable with. And it was just, like, all right, we're going to shoot the coverage and we're going to get what we need. And we're going to cover the script. And this is the general shots of each thing. Yeah. And I think we might have gone out of that. A few times, and I wasn't sure if it was you or if it was Igor. Like we had some nice, like you know, like jib shots that kind yeah. of like here's a, a big, more cinematic scope shot. And uh, I don't, yeah, I'm not sure where those where those pitches came from. But that that that, that jib shot was that, you know, that, that was, was a, <laughs> that was a day. Jibs, oh god, jibs and cameras and fun equipment. And that's and, and that's... it's always fun to have a docu crew following <laughs> during that moment too. Uh, <laughs> But, um, yeah, no, and that shot looks gorgeous with it as well. Um, but it was, uh, I think I had to completely, and I do, trust Igor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, because his crew is fantastic. Like, I mean, he can just look at them and they know exactly what they have to do. Because mm-hmm. uh, they all work together all the time. Um, and also, I wanted the actors to be able to fill the space. And I wanted them to have input as to where they wanted to go. I didn't want to dictate. Yeah, like, flexibility. Yeah. I, th- I felt like that was very important to them. And then from there, we were able to, yeah, can you be closer? That way I can do this as a two-shot as opposed to, you know, that. Yeah, and they're used to that, yeah. Yeah. So um, I think with... I think with Intelligent, um, I'm going to keep the same style with that and let the actors feel the room. However, because Installation is such a stylized film 
mm. and that it's very Hitchcockian, down mm. to the camera angles, down to the shots. This it's stable, and being that you're acting in it too, and that I'm acting in it. Yeah, yeah I, it's it's going to be storyboarded. Okay, that's interesting because Hitchcock would storyboard everything. Yeah, he the actors play. They were in in they were equipment that yeah. got placed and whatever, but. And the actors that I've talked to about the process so far, they're like, love it. Because they know exactly what they're getting into because of some of the the scenes and the the scenes involving sexuality and stuff. It's like, they'll know exactly, you know, what's going to be shown uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> with Ken dolls. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, uh, that's, that's how we're going to get through sure. it. But also it's because it's, I'm dealing with a crew that's not normally... Yeah, putting a camera on sticks, yeah. so to speak. I I like it. The over the over planning. Yeah, that won't be over planned. Yeah, yeah, that it helps too. And especially because it's, it's ten days, which is the other thing. Yeah. It's like we got to get in there. We got to know exactly what we're doing, so we're not experimenting with blocking and giving yeah. flexibility to everybody. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And it's I've, I've been for the past year and a half. I've been studying all of Hitchcock's films, reading every book, mm. listening. So like down, like down to the shots of like the shoulders and like uh, in moments that like how he shot mm-hmm. up on certain. So it's like everything is is stylized. To yeah, that. yeah, and you're taking that. That's the, your direct inspiration for yeah. that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, nice. Yeah, nice. That's gonna be fun. <laughs> yeah, that no, sounds cool. Um, I was gonna jump to. A little bit back to the editing process. Mm-hmm. Being, have you edited yourself before? Do you have? <laughs> I, the only editing I do is with iMovie when I have to like cut takes, like self tapes for actors. That's the. Okay. That's the. Oh, that's, and that's more of like a trim. Yeah, it's a trim. That's all yeah. I do. <laughs> trim <laughs> okay. and, and render. So yeah, I was curious about what it was like communicating with the editor. Being that you already had the the stumble blocks yeah. of the communication barriers of, yeah. of distance. Uh, what did you learn through that process on communication with editing and, and, and maybe how to think in the if any of that influenced how you want to approach your directing on the next stuff too yeah like um, there I read a, after you know during quarantine pandemic quarantine um, I read a lot of books on editing and so I was fine with like I was giving him notes like cut a half breath here, cut a half breath. And it was a lot of like, for whatever reason, it's like I would watch what he had, and this is not a knock against Gordon, sure. but it's like I would I'd watch what he, he did and I was like, I just needed a half breath cut here. A half yeah, it's breath more like a here. pacing thing. It was a pacing thing. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm really happy with the pacing of it. And that was that was really important, the pacing. It, it, that movie has to move. Mm-hmm. There are some scenes that linger, mm-hmm. and I—that's because you're trying to catch your breath. And that's like a—that's like a moment that needs to stand out. Yeah, versus, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, one of the big lessons I learned, you know, we had there's a scene in the movie where um, it would have worked better had I, and it, of course it's part of the docu series as well. I wanted to shoot it as a oneer, and mm. they're just I I knew when we got to that day that there was no way it was going to happen. And it was just, it was a very long scene. So the editing, of course it took a long, it was the scene with, uh, it's been a bit, I, let's, when, when the, the killer comes in and, uh, to, to, he's trying to bury his brother. So it's, it's that office scene between John and Quentin, okay. Quentin Travis, Travis Quentin. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just, they're seated 
for a lot for a lot of, of dialogue. And their performances are great. And the the tension's there, the fear is there, the score is great, but it's just a little too long. Mm. And because it's like the, the movie's been moving pretty fast and then it comes to this scene. So we did have to like cut pieces out of it to make it move faster. Mm -hmm. And you, you don't want to cut, but, but there's also a lot of exposition because we're talking about things that he's giving information about what the backstory of who the brother is and also information that Mark Singer's character is later going to discuss as well. So it was, I learned never to write a scene like that ever again. Mm. So that that's more of like a, a writer lesson on top yeah. of the... Yeah, no, that's... Self-editing myself, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, in Intelligent, there's, there is a, a pretty... There's a five-page scene where they are... This one actor has to drop all of his exposition, which is the history of the house. But it's so important because his speech will dictate a possible prequel or a possible sequel. Mm -hmm. Because, again, it's, like, it's the whole history of... Sure. Of the house. So you're currently deciding that's staying as a five pager for right now. Now it's down to four and four okay. and four and a quarter. I think sure. at this point. Because I was going to ask. I was going <laughs> to ask about like if, if there was writer stuff that came up with like, all right, I want to keep the five pages, but I'm going to add action to it where they're walking around and looking at this or like. Can, so that way, at least it's visually. That's. I think that's what we or, did with. Um, I think that's what we did in Undertaker's Wife with that scene because we had John get, uh, we had right, Travis right, get right. up and grab the Bible and, and talk about it. Mm -hmm. And it did give us different levels at that point as yeah. well. Um, but I, yeah. Sure. I mean, I that, wanted that, to shoot it, it as a winner. It's tricky. Like, it's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So editing what else as far as reading the books and stuff you were uh, what else you I don't know yeah I um, I'm reading this really great it's uh, William Mann uh, Tinseltown mm -hmm. uh, it's about the history of Hollywood 1920s and I'm, I'm here in Beechwood and what's funny is like the person who killed this guy lives at the bottom of the hill so it's like every morning I do my little hike I get to pass by her house and uh it's, um, but it, like this book takes place in this neighborhood. So it's like really, yeah, yeah. but it's yeah. about the history and yeah. in, in intelligent an actress buys a house in the hills that has a history of infamous murders. And so I'm kind of learning about the mm -hmm. deep dive on Hollywood in 1920s and 30s. Nice. Yeah. That's... I'm just going to, I'm just looking through my notes yeah. to see uh, what I wanted to jump to next. Um, there's a couple things. I'll throw some out and see what grabs you. <sighs> there. Okay, well, since you were mentioning writing, I haven't seen this full show yet, but, so don't spoil anything for me, but WandaVision, you kind of, you put, you posted on Facebook about it, and I was very happy with, because I'm, I'm a big Marvel fan. Yeah. So, you kind of joked about like, what am I doing as a writer? Like, I almost want to give up on writing because of what WandaVision's doing. Yeah. So I was, at what, what, what? It's so good. And, I mean, I, I'm i not a, like, I, I've watched the Marvel, I'm not a Marvel fan. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought Endgame, that, that scene with the portals at the end, that was bonkers beautiful. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I love the mythology. I appreciate the storytelling that they spent all these years creating these characters sure, to get sure. to that point. I'm excited to see what they do with it 
later. I'm excited they get these big name actors who seem to have a lot of fun. I'm excited they shoot it in Atlanta. Um, right. I auditioned for One Division, but the problem, of course, you're not allowed to talk about these things, but it's already aired. And so uh, they send you sides. And there was on Clubhouse, I was listening to somebody last night, I think mm. it was uh, Paul Guillot. I think he was the one who was talking about it. Um, these writers that when they create fake sides for auditions, um, it's to give you an art because they want to see what you can right, do. Right, right, right. And um, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school by saying that whenever you audition for a Marvel show, you have to sign an NDA in advance so that you don't talk about what happens in the story. And, yeah, and give spoilers. You're not or... giving anything away. Um, and that's before you even get the sides. Like, you have to sign the NDA in advance. And then you get these, like, watermarked, you know, so deep that you can barely read the dialogue as it is. And then the scene makes no damn sense. They give you no setup as to what's happening in the scene. Um, and they give you no indication as to, is this a comedy? Mm-hmm. Is this supposed to be... And the scene that I had was one of the, the scenes from the first episode, which was that stylized TV show. And so reading the sides, I'm like, I have no idea what the hell is going on. And also knowing that it seemed like it was an old-timey kind of thing, but knowing that these were the characters of Wanda and... I figured out that it was WandaVision at that point because that was the first show to shoot in Atlanta. Um, but I'm like, how does this tie to what those characters are in the universe? Like, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Because they hadn't had they hadn't necessar- necessarily announced what the premise of yeah. the show was. So that would be a weird scenario. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, all, all of my... You know, like, people... You know, a lot of... In Atlanta, like, people will read opposite each other and tape you know, self-tape for these auditions. And we're all, like, scratching our heads. Like, how do you play this? This doesn't make any sense. Like, and also, like, it doesn't make any sense within the world. And then when you watch the episode, it's like, oh, okay, well, that would have been helpful. That would have been helpful to have said, it's a 1950s sitcom set, and this is what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, they don't tell you that because that's part of the spoiler of the show. And it's and it's that way with all of the shows. Like, um, that you you get these sides and it's like okay and, and they and of course it's a code name for the show. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can figure out what the show is based on uh, the code name, uh, and but even then it's like you can't really. Play. So it was a really interesting conversation on Clubhouse last night where they were talking about yeah if you if that's the case if that's what if these are the sides that you get play the sides just play sure, sure. create your own world create your own character because that's what they want to see yeah again make decisions stick with it commit well yeah the the classic the classic but yeah which of course we all do but it's like it's that frustrating thing because you want to nail it and you don't want to think of like yes obviously as an actor you know that you have to go in and make your own choices mm-hmm. and, and and whatnot and I've never I've never been in the situation of of not being able to give an actor direction as to what's happening. Which it, it's helpful to give the actor direction. You know, mm-hmm. it's give us something. Just give us something. Or or say, play. Go for it. There's no right or wrong in this scene. We just want to see you act. Um, we just want to see you move. We just want whatever the thing is. But of course with this, and with all the Marvel stuff, it's there's no indication as to what's happening in the scene. Everything's blacked out. Yeah, because I know even when you get to, when you get to set sometimes, like yeah. Tom Holland will be like, so what am I looking at? How tall is this thing? Like where? Like what's going on? Brie Larson talked about that when she shot right her first take with uh, she's the her line was "Where's Fury?" 
And oh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, and she was like, so she's like, yeah, so you're just gonna stand here and then you're looking at four people and uh, who are not in the room and you're gonna say, where's Fury? She's like, okay, she's like, well, wait, where's Fury? Like, is he, is he like, where, where, like, is he around? Like, is he not here? She's like, who are the people I'm looking at? Like, she had no, no information. It's like, good luck. And that was the big tease of the next episode. Mm-hmm. That was the tag. And mm-hmm. she had no idea what she was doing. Yeah, because I, as far as WandaVision goes, I'm currently, I think, through episode four. Okay, so you're on the other side of it. So, yeah, I, I just got, I mean, I'm through the Halloween episode. My plan was to stack up the remaining and watch it, like, as a movie. Yeah. And I haven't gotten to it yet, which I'm very frustrated about. But I'll get to it soon. But regardless, I think your comment came out when they did the spoil. I don't know. I'll spoil. I'll spoil because we've talked. You've watched it. Yeah. Because um, they did the the reveal of the other brother showing up, like the other multiverse yeah. brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's at point that. I feel like it was that night that you put the comment up. So I was like, I wonder what prompted the. The actual Facebook post was it the right? Oh, of you know the... what it was. It no, it was the scene. It was it was episode four, when they finally revealed like at the beginning, uh, Monica, when they revealed like where she was fitting into the story, and they mm-hmm. go back like she had just come back from the snap, and that it moved because okay, we had been yeah, watching yeah, yeah, these yeah, yeah. like these damn episodes, these TV shows don't make any damn sense, mm-hmm. and then suddenly it's like oh oh right, right. oh oh okay. And like suddenly everything made mm-hmm. sense, and it's like they've been they've tricked you into this, this. You think that it's this one thing, and it's this whole other thing, and then they bring it back like Cat Dennings and Randall Park, and like they're bringing back all these people that you love, and it's too much fun, man. And you can tell the actress playing Monica Rambo is just having a blast, mm-hmm. like she's just, and she's going to be you know a new big star in the in the universe, and, and what they're planning on doing with their character. So it's like it was fun, and of course Catherine Hahn is a friend of mine from Crossing Jordan, so mm. it was like. It was we taped a reunion for uh, Stacey Abrams' fair fight, and you know Catherine. Catherine's Catherine. Catherine's not on social media, so like when you text her, like, "Oh my God, you've been trending all day." She's like, "What does that mean?" She has no idea. She's not. She doesn't understand Twitter. She's like, she, "What's Twitter?" Yeah, yeah. Um, and now she's like, "This show has like put her in a different stratosphere," and she's so good. And I can't wait for you to see what happens with her. I'm still. She's, I'm excited. She's so good. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, I would be. What's the word remiss if I didn't ask the? Uh, this is I don't know. It's a bo- I feel like it's a boring question because I don't. It doesn't mean much to me. But casting director, uh-huh. if you what's the uh, as far as more like frequently asked question kind of stuff on. I have plenty of of friends that are in the same creative hustle and are pursuing the acting side, and I feel like acting is. I don't have. Well, if if you if you kind of list out the difficulties of positions, like acting is definitely <laughs> I feel like near the top of, of having any control over your in of your existence. Oh, yeah, so, totally. It's yeah. So trying to figure out what to do, what matters, getting an agent, getting representation. If I don't have if I if I'm not SAG, they won't even look at me. Right. Like all this kind of stuff. So like getting to know casting directors, getting on a radar. Yeah. Like, are you on Clubhouse? I am. Am I following you on Clubhouse? I, I don't I, think. I, so. I, have to find, I, I, have I to don't find know. It. Maybe you can. We can it's, do that. It's but. it's one of the things that started off like really great, and now it's like I feel like it's just people like trying to <laughs> exercise their therapy. I because I jumped. I feel like I jumped on late because yeah. that's that's what I jumped on. I I jumped into some different rooms and. 
I think I had a, a friend kind of joke about, um, she, she tweeted that, she's like, yeah, through high school, like my, my skin, my skincare, like my skin, my acne was really bad. And I tried all this different stuff. And, and then like somebody pops up and says like, well, have you tried washing your face with like soap? And she's like, that's what, that's what Clubhouse is like. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, well, you're. It's like thank you, but this isn't really helping. Right, and there's but there's a lot of casting directors that are on it now, mm-hmm. and like Paul Giot and uh, God Giot, I think is how you say his last name, uh, showrunner from he, he's yeah, a yeah, writer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought it was Giot, and uh, and then he, oh. somebody said it like he, uh, somebody said his name yesterday. I was like, that's not at all how I thought it was said. Uh, he's really great because he talks about writing, and uh, but there's a lot. Michelle Lewitt, who's a casting director, she was on Undertaker's Wife. Um, they're on there. They're giving really great advice. But it's like a lot of these rooms, they'll, when you go in, there's like 80 people on the stage and they're all like agents, managers, casting directors. And then they'll bring in somebody. Like last night, I was like, Jesus woman. It was like an AA meeting. Like she, she gone in like, she's like, I just want to thank you for your share. Thank you for the, da, da, da. and they're talking about it like, I want to thank you for the knowledge. Of da, 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 da. And then she's like, and then she finally gets to her question. And it's like, this is like your therapy session. This is yeah, not yeah, just yeah, yeah. spit out the question. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's one of those resources that I think is just, there's too many voices mm-hmm. in the room. Yeah, uh, but back are, when it first pe- started, pe- it was People fun. are still learning the, yeah. uh, the medium for sure. But it's, I find it very helpful because it's like, I'm learning really good, especially because the L.A. market is very different from the Atlanta okay, market. Okay, okay. And, and weirdly so, because I feel like I know everybody from casting. I feel like I know a, a good chunk of all of the actors from the market, from mm-hmm. seeing them, from communicating with their agents. Uh, talent that I don't know, that's on them, because I'm the most accessible casting director in the Southeast. I'm on all the social media platforms, mm-hmm. Uh, I do Facebook lives where I, I have people ask me questions. Um, and that's on them if they don't want to like, and that's again, that's like how you meet people like mm-hmm. on clubhouse. I know a lot of casting directors have said, like, yeah, I'm following you now. That, that would never happen on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. But for some reason clubhouse has made it like mm-hmm. more of a conversation. So you realize these people are crazy or they're not. And like there, there's somebody that you want to like get to know a little better peripherally. Um, yeah. Okay. I was going to say, yeah. How much do you factor in social media presence to, yeah. I, I, I want to say that I don't, but I absolutely do. Yeah. I mean, you know, Danielle Pennock and, and Lenisa Frederick, who were in Undertaker's Wife, mm-hmm. um, Danielle played the, the, um, the secure, the tech person who was like putting in the, the Wi-Fi and everything. Right, right. And then Lenisa was the, the volunteer who came to help with all the funerals. They're both part of hashtag booked. And I met them through Instagram and they're both going to be megastars one day. And I'm sure they're going to have their own show within mm-hmm. two or three years, if not sooner. And I, I, I found them through social media. And yeah. there's this actress, her name is Mackenzie. Is she the one you've been sharing about oh lately? God. You're I'm like, oh my gosh, so you're hilarious. With her. Yeah. I'm upset. I, I like the, I like the thing that you shared. I'm like, that's, that's actually pretty good. She's so, she does these, all she does is she does, she's, she talks as her, at herself mm-hmm. and it, it, but she's got the branding sure. down. Like, it's the same setup every time where she's singing these lullabies and then her other persona is telling her how bad these lullabies are. And, and it's this like overly dramatic thing, but you can tell this is a bitch who can act. She is good. And, and like I, IMDB searched her and I'm like, why don't you have an agent? She's like, I can't find an agent. 
I'm like, how do you not have an agent? She's got millions of followers and, and views on these videos, and she doesn't have an agent. And mm-hmm. I'm like, somebody in New York needs to snap her up. If she was in L.A., I would cast her in a heartbeat. Mm. She would be in the intelligent. Like, pick a role. Which would you like to play? Um, and uh, I, she's somebody I found through social media. There's an actress named uh, Nikki Garza. I actually met Nikki. Nikki attended a class that I taught years ago in Savannah. And, uh, and then she, you know, newbie actor. Like, newbie, newbie, newbie. Like, didn't have an agent, just striking out. She, uh, she came in. I was doing in-person auditions last year for Florida Girls right after we, mm-hmm. you know, after we finished shooting. I had two weeks where I was casting Florida Girls before the world shut down. Um, and Nikki drove in from Atlanta to Savannah to do an in-person with me. All the Atlanta actors I had self-tape. She's from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But she drove down just to meet me and, uh, or meet with me again because she took my class years earlier and blew me away. Like she was going to be this character had we shot the series. Mm-hmm. And since then, she's become this gigantic TikTok star. Um, and she's body positive. You know, she's not a size two mm-hmm. and she knows it. And she, she's gorgeous and she is funny and she uh, is the uh, such a talented actor there was a film that i was hired to direct last fall that did not end up going because of covid um and she was the very last person that i had requested her to audition through the casting director and so the day of the callbacks when we were zooming everybody all the producers are there and myself and i was like where's nikki and she's like oh i couldn't i couldn't get to her agent in time i was like we'll call her agent right now and see Mm -hmm. if she can do it and so the agent like calls her and is like, she's actually, can you, would you guys mind like FaceTiming her? And Nikki does a FaceTime audition from the backseat of a car. Her partner's loading the, the trunk from like, they're at Walmart. The focus that she had, there's a dog that's jumping up and down, like a little mm-hmm. chihuahua mm-hmm. that's jumping up and down in the, in, the, like, in the back part of the car. It was the funniest audition I've ever, I mean, she was the only actor that day. I was like, that's, that's the character. That mm. done. Mm-hmm. Sign her now. She was the, I mean, the first decision that we made, and of course the movie. Didn't and happen. and that was a combo of the performance given as well as the circumstance of the commitment for the audition, like that. Combination. Yeah, I mean, she she had the character down, but it was the focus of all of these ex, extraneous things right, happening, right, right. and she was so focused and like was in a t shirt and like in the backseat of a car. I mean, it was like yeah, it yeah. was the perfect callback, and um, but. Had I not, had she not had that experience in the audition, had she not, again, casting director workshops, never a guarantee, it's an educational purposes only, da 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 um, But that's how I first met her. And then when she, and again, I brought her in because she is a good actress. She, I, she was right for the role. We were looking for a Hispanic actress for this and, role. And the span between the two. Three years. Three, yeah. 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 Um, three years, I think. Because she attended one of the first workshops I did in Savannah. Um, and um, and I remembered her. And I was like, you know, when, when she came into the room, I was like, oh, you were here before. And that's why I thought she lived in Savannah, because she had attended mm. the workshop in Savannah. And, um, but she's, she, she's been taking classes. She can act. She is funny. She does have a following. And so I, I do, I get inspired by actors that are on, I hate TikTok, but I'm obsessed with it. But I love, I love creators that can find something, mm-hmm. that can use their voice, uh, and that create funny things that make you laugh, like Mackenzie or, um, 
you know, it's not necessarily always about dance challenges or lip syncing to sure, something. Sure, sure. But when, when actors are able to take that, like Mackenzie, she doesn't have an agent. So she's out there creating her own content. Uh, those are the people that you want to help. Those are the people that you mm -hmm. want to see succeed. Yeah, it, it always reminds me of the classic quote, um, people enjoy helping those that are already helping themselves yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, yeah, I was just curious. I feel like that's kind of like a common thought in terms of like when, I, when I'm on Instagram and stuff and I'm stumbling upon actors or, or whatever, like I, I know it's again like it's weird like it's not quite fun having this opinion but like you can look at the like all right what, what what's the content they're putting out how do yeah. they present themselves mm -hmm. what when they're when they are putting out videos what videos are they putting what self tapes are they sharing like all that kind of stuff on and then how do they caption the thing like i'm like how do they represent the thing that they just put yeah i, I look into it very very deeply and uh, -huh. uh i don't it's Kind of uh, stressful, I'm sure. For, yeah. For, yeah, for I authenticity. Um, yeah, I I think that uh, watching uh, and and it's it's just the way that 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 our with with TV shows not being able to shoot, it's people creating their own content. It, it is important. Web series used to be the big thing, and now it's you know it's on your phone. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, yeah. Yeah. So, any, well, I guess, I guess so the advice, little, little snippet of advice, you were kind of saying like just kind of, kind of Clubhouse is a great place or it was a as great as, place. Yeah. As far as like, as far as an actor trying to, trying to get some, some new seeds of inspiration. It's, or, well, Clubhouse or, is now like the free casting director workshop. I mean, it's mm -hmm. because you're out, you can communicate with them. You're getting great advice. You're getting to hear exactly what they want or what they don't want. Uh, and you're getting to learn like what the markets are because the LA market's very different from the Atlanta market. And um, you know, in Atlanta, we have maybe, <laughs> I would say we have, I would say we have, and they'll probably hate me for saying this, we probably have six or seven casting directors that cast all of the work that happens in Georgia, mm -hmm. in the Southeast. Mm -hmm. um, like Erica Arvold, she's out of Richmond but she does some work in, in Atlanta occasionally. She helps cast Dope Sick out of Atlanta, so we'll, we'll get auditions for Dope Sick out of, out of Atlanta. Um, but the Finn Cannons, uh, Chase and Tara, who are a company, they, uh, Chase uh, Paris and, and Tara Feldstein, mm -hmm. they cast a lot of the work. Um, you're beholden to these, these group of like five or six, right, seven right. Like the, people. Like, it feels like gatekeeper-y. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in Atlanta yeah, now, quotes. we are casting more and more because of COVID, and which is now going to change the face of casting in the Southeast. They are casting more um, uh, series regulars and guest stars out of the Atlanta market, which mm. two and three and four years ago was never happening. We were only getting co-star spots, and now they're... You know, we're casting. Yeah, it's grown, it's grown enough to where they can pull from... Yeah. yeah, like the kids on Outer Banks, I think all of those kids were cast out of the Southeast. Mm. And um, and now they're all huge stars. Um, and that is a blessing and a curse, I think, mm. because a lot of actors tend to, and I'm only speaking from my experience, but um, 
a lot of my friends who are working actors, they work all the time. And then there are people that like mm. are trying to struggle to get into like you get that self tape and you're like, this is gonna be the one. And then you find out it's somebody who's always working that books that role. Yeah. So it's and it's it's frustrating because I'm the kind of person like I always try to push through new talent. Uh, so they do get their first credits. Like in Savannah I had to because we couldn't afford to bring every actor in from Atlanta and put mm-hmm. them up with housing margin per diem. Um, so I'm always trying to help grow the market, get an actor, get their credits. I'm trying to go out of my way to like find those people that are good, that can be on set, that can go toe to toe with Channing Tatum. That uh, you know whether it's not. Yes, you always want the best actor there, but sometimes you have to bring somebody up. Mm-hmm. And you always hope that that's going to be, you know, something that happens, that some other casting director is going to be like, you know what, you haven't worked in three years. Let me let me fight for you on this role. But it's not the case. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just not the case. Yeah. And, like, I've auditioned for every gay husband or boyfriend of a series regular that's come through Atlanta in the past two years. And they keep bringing these actors in from New York and L.A. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and and that actor does not necessarily have any more value than I do, um, and it's frustrating. Right. I know. I know. Because um, I I did a, a tiny bit of research um, prepping for this, but like you you've mentioned before, that uh, I don't know. It's kind of it, I got the vibe there where it's like I don't know how much it plays into it, but being that you are also a casting yeah. director. Oh, where did you see that quote? <laughs> <laughs> might 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 play a part into why I'm not getting why cast. you're not getting yeah. cast. I because I, they know yeah. who you are. Yeah. and I do. It's weird. It's yeah, and it sucks. Where did I say that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh my God, I better go back and find the quote. But but it's true. It's like I do feel like a lot of times I'm getting auditions and I'm like. You're never going to fucking hire me for this. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't hire me for this. I feel like, and again, this is just my insecurity. I sure. feel like it's a dance monkey dance kind of thing. Well, wouldn't it be, well, if, if, if you wouldn't bring yourself in for that, I'm talking about the situations in which you would bring yourself in for that, but you're not getting brought in. Yeah. Like that's more of the issue, right? And I'm grateful to my agent because I know that he's like, I know that he's out there pushing me. I know that he is uh, 110% behind me. I know that he would not put me up for something if he didn't think sure. that I was right for it. Um, I know that, I, and, and sometimes I book things and I'm like, I'm never going to book this. And then I book it. Right. And, um, or it's like, I'll get the audition. I'm like, I would never cast myself in this, but I know how to make it my own, uh, which is what you have to do. I mean, you can't ever... It's, it's not fair to yourself and it's not fair to the casting director or your team to be like, why am I doing this? I mean, you can have that moment, but you still mm-hmm. have to go in and give it mm-hmm. your best take. And you, it's an opportunity for you to get to explore and play and work. And, you know, it's like free class getting to, to create this character and work on it and then forget it and go mm-hmm. eat Mexican food. Mm-hmm. But um, that has definitely been a gigantic frustration of mine because I do theater and I get great reviews, and yet I can't book a fucking one-liner on the resident. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's well, it's I, real frustrating. So does it does is there? I guess my only I'm sure. How is it? 
for the LA side? Does there, do you audition out here too? No, I don't know. No, and I think, in, depending on my schedule, I might start looking for an agent out here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I do, like, a lot of actors in Atlanta who get frustrated who aren't working, they end up moving to LA and then suddenly start booking all the time okay. working in Atlanta. Oh, I got you. So that well, happens quite a bit. As long as as long as the work comes with the move, it's kind of yeah. Like... But um, you know that's that's a, my main reason why I'm mm-hmm. doing installation as well. So uh, like I have current real material, but mm-hmm. I also can act and create my own things, and I think that's for why sure. For sure, we all have to create our own stuff. Taking the adv- your own advice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The stuff that you like about the people that you're spotting on Instagram or whatever, making their own. Th- yeah, it, I like it. Yeah, I like and it, and I. I don't think that I, um, like, I'm, I'm totally comfortable auditioning, I mean, auditioning, uh, acting in installation, but I don't want to, at this point, start acting in stuff that I'm directing. Like, I, I just don't mm-hmm. feel, I wouldn't have felt, I definitely wouldn't have felt comfortable in Undertaker's Wife, like, being my first sort of mm-hmm. bigger budget film and acting opposite those two when they had just <laughs> come in, like, hours <laughs> earlier. Like, oh, and by the way, I'm going to be playing the role of... Uh, <laughs> The six page thing, like I, that wouldn't have been, mm-hmm. it that wasn't that wouldn't have been right. And same thing with intelligent. Like there's a couple of roles in, in intelligent that I could play. I just, uh, you I'll, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna ask actually. Was there a point when you considered not directing it and being like, I want to act and I'll bring it. I'll kind of like almost act as producer and actor and then bring in somebody that you trust to handle that side of it. Uh, no. Some. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and the funny thing is because I have a script right now that's being shopped this week uh, that the whole thing came about as just it's it, it's going to be a great story one day but uh, like I was in Savannah I was working on this film that I was not having a good time on I, I, I witnessed this interaction between mm-hmm. two people um, and I the next morning the producer producer friend of mine calls me he's like do you have a Christmas movie for Hallmark or Lifetime? I was like, no, I don't. No, no, I don't. I don't do that. But let me tell you about what happened to me last night. So I tell him mm. about the incident. He's like, oh, my God, that sounds like a movie. And I was like, yeah, it's called No Room at the Inn. And as soon as I, because, you know, everything at Hallmark is like, it's at the end or something. Mm. The second that I said that, I was the entire movie downloaded into my head. And it was all based just on seeing these two people at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, I'll call you back in an hour. So I, I literally birthed this five-page treatment in the course of an hour, sent it to him. He's like, so you did have this movie? He's like, no, no, no. This came from, like, me saying No Room at the End. And so now they're in the process of shopping it. So I did, like, I, you know, they love it. They they, they make these Hallmark Lifetime mm-hmm. TV One shows all the time. The lead partner in this company uh, was like, great, and we'll get so-and-so to direct it. And I was like, I want to direct it. Like, I, yeah, I, I want yeah. to direct it. And, um, and so you said that. I did. But I also know well enough to step out of the way. Because mm-hmm. if this other director, who has directed a lot for Hallmark and Lifetime, is going to help greenlight the movie, then welcome aboard. Sure. I'm not going to sure. muck up the system. Yeah, especially if you have other stuff going on, yeah. too. It's like, well, yeah, if that was the only thing happening, I could see fighting for it. But it's like, well, you yeah. got this, and you don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, and it's like, but it's... But that wasn't... Yeah, okay. But it's exciting. It's really crazy that, like, it's it's going out this week, and I mean, there, I mean, there are lots of conversations happening about mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. where it could be on, on your television this Christmas. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. 
Um, what did I have? I had a, a follow-up ready to go. Um, I don't know. I don't necessarily... Uh, okay, I'll mention... Is this the one Christmas at Big Bear? Is that the... That's... that's yeah, okay. and it's not... Yeah, and it, but because of... Christmas in Big Bear. Christmas in Big Bear, yeah. And it was because... I called it No Room at the Inn. But these guys... I mean, they, they know Hallmark Lifetime. They thought, yeah, it needs to be something more Christmassy. So it's... So you literally just Christmas put in Christmas in it. Yeah. And uh, there's also Trailer Park Murder Club. Um, I'm still trying to get that done. Um, that's in the writing phase it's in the writing phase yeah it's about it's basically like Clue in a trailer park mm-hmm. uh, with a bunch of women I had a movie called Darlene that we tried to get made for years and uh, Mary Lambert was going to direct it and uh, over the past four it was, I wrote it right after the election of 2016 mm. and um, it was really about the former president's country and, and those people that, that that tend to live in trailer parks. Okay, gotcha. And so, uh, and it was, a, we had a great little cast of people attached to make it. Producer just never had the money. Um, the landscape of where we are in 2021 and where we were in 2016 is completely different. Mm-hmm. I'm, you cannot make this movie now. Mm. Uh, based on things that happen in the movie. So you're kind of trying to rework it so it does. Yeah, so, so I literally, I, and like, and people still want to make that movie, and I'm like, I'm arguing with them, like, you can't make this movie now. Mm-hmm. Like, not in the middle of, uh, when we're trying to, like, educate people on Black Lives Matter, we're trying to educate people on training. You are, ne- I'm, I, I literally, I cannibalize the script. Like, mm-hmm. it's, I'm taking the characters, putting them in a different situation, but mm-hmm. the situation that was in that original script it was definitely documented at a period of time of where we are, but we're, it, we're yeah. nobody wants to see that movie now. Yeah, so. I feel you. <laughs> um, man. Okay, so what, being that you are up to so much in terms of like acting, putting yourself, yeah, acting in this feature, you, you're, like you said, you're still dabbling in casting, trying to get out of casting, You've got some cool, uh, you've directed your first, well, you've directed a feature as of late, waiting for that to see what happens with that. You're making your second with that same production company. What does, uh, what does Chad, what's the, what's the, what's the dream? Like what, what's the, is it the acting side, the directing side, writing, is it the trifecta? I think it's, I think it's the writing, producing and directing, uh, and acting. Um, and the thing is, like, I, t- 2020, when I moved uh-huh. to L.A., uh, 2020, um, 2000, when mm-hmm. I moved to L.A., 21 years ago, um, I wanted to move out here to be a writer and then get back into acting. And I'm still in that process of, like, you know, trying mm-hmm. to write and, and trying to get back into acting. And okay, I've been able to do theater, and, and that's been very fulfilling, and, and, I, and I love that. But it's what I love about acting and with you, I want to ask you the same question. What I love about acting is the trickster part of it. That's what that's what I'm drawn to. I'm not drawn to it for being famous. I don't. It's it's not like that. I don't want to be famous. I don't want to be. Uh, that's that's never been something that mm-hmm. that I've been attracted to. What I love is the disappearing part into a character where people don't recognize you, mm-hmm. and um, that's why playing Hedwig was so much fun mm-hmm. because you want people to 
at the end of the show say, I didn't see any of you in that character. That's the biggest compliment you could give me. And the same thing with David Oselznick. Like it was, I mean, yeah, we still kind of look alike. I dyed my hair black and never do that again. Uh, um, uh, and you know, it was, I, I, I totally researched. I, I felt like I embodied exactly who he was on the day. Um, but with Hedwig, what was really fun was like, I'd never done drag before. I'd never walked in heels before. I'd never sung punk rock before. Mm-hmm. Um, never done a German accent before. Like all of these things, I had to lose weight. I had to get in shape. I had, it, it was a completely, it was a process for two yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, transformative. Transformative, yeah. yeah. And the best part, the greatest compliment I ever had was from Mark Amin, who was the director on Emperor. I cast that movie two years ago. And he came to see, we did reshoots. And so we shot the movie in Savannah. We did reshoots in Atlanta. And um, he wanted to come see the show with all the producers. So as as people often do, they're like, hey, we're running 10 minutes late, like texting me. Like, I'm going to hold the house for them. Like, that's something I do. And like, they had roped off the front row. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it, it was one of those theaters where like, once the show starts, like you can't really come in because mm. I'm all over the stage in the audience. And um, so we did hold for them to come in. And uh, I get up, I'm doing uh, singing Tear Me Down, come on stage, and into the first monologue, talking to the audience. And I look down and I see Mark, like he's got the program and he's like talking to the producer next to him. And she keeps pointing, like in the front row, and she keeps pointing like that, like emphatically pointing. And he's like, I don't. And, I'm like, and I, at one point I was like, mm-hmm. I wanted to turn because Hedwig talks to the audience. Be like, what the fuck are you doing? What are you talking about? What? And it, uh, I'm, I'm up here. Would you please shut shut up? Because I had to do that a lot with the drunks. Because a lot oh, of because okay. people would come in and drink and and get really drunk and and talk back because they think it's interactive and it's not. Like mm-hmm. this is a script we're fitting to here. Um, so when the show was over, I walk through the audience and uh, or I I am coming that back to the dressing room. And Mark comes running across the stage and he goes, I didn't know that was you. And I was like, I was literally six feet from you. How did you not know that was me? And like, he just, with the hair and the makeup and the, the boy, like he didn't, he honestly, honest to God, did not know that was me, which made me wonder a lot about him. But it was, but the producers <laughs> were like, they were like, it was so funny that he was like, he was convinced that that wasn't you. And he was wondering where you were. Yeah, which is why the pointing was happening. It's like, where's Chad? And it's yeah, like, that and guy, that, you're like, that's him right yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, and he just didn't get it. And, uh, and I mean, I'd worked with the man for, for four months. And so that was like the greatest compliment. And then the other great compliment was that Hedwig's drinking throughout the show. And so we had this giant bottle of, like a mm-hmm. vodka bottle, and just have water inside of it. And uh, there was one night that we had a new person that was working the, the bar, and the water bottle like, went missing. So somebody went and borrowed a bottle of, they had real vodka mm-hmm. in the bottle. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I did a big chug of it and like, it just burned my throat. And I was like, I need the water to drink for the show for my voice. I'm like, I can't drink this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we had it became a whole thing. So I'm drinking water the entire show. And there was one night, it was an industry night. So like my agents came, a bunch of actors from my agency came. It was, I knew everybody in the house. I knew every single person in the house. It was the greatest show we had the entire run. Oh, but nice. my agent, Jason Lockhart, like after the end of the show, like he comes up to me and like he pulls me aside and he goes, buddy, you need to be really careful. I'm like, about what? And he's like, you don't need to be drinking that much on stage. I'm like, 
it's water, Jason. Like, but he honestly thought that I was drunk. I'm like, I would be dead if I drank that much vodka mm-hmm. on stage while doing this show. And that was like the second greatest compliment I had to my agent, like thinking that I was... People getting confused because you're doing such a great job. Yeah. Yeah. Playing drunk is fun. Like that's... But that was like, that was really Mm -hmm. like, wow, you really thought that... Because, you know, the play runs in real time. So Mm -hmm. it's like for an hour and a half, they thought that Hedwig was just getting really, really sloshed. Yeah. And and then Hedwig becomes a completely different person. And so I'm like, wow, thanks, Jason. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not up there drinking, but thank you. I appreciate it. No, for sure. Okay. So... I'm trying to recall if you answered the question or not, but so is it, so acting is the, so yeah, always kind of working your way back to that. Like that's what you moved to LA to pursue. Yeah. Writing was, writing is a. I love writing. I love creating. And that's, and that's what the expectation of acting in, that you don't, yeah. you don't really write pieces to act in per no. se. Installation, it's, Yes. Right. That's and, insta- and the thing about installation is I wrote that role knowing that I would, and the thing also with Birthday Cake, um, I wrote both of these roles knowing that I would never, nobody would ever cast me in this role. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about Birthday Cake, and Groom's Cake, uh, was, it was Birthday Cake. Um, we, uh, we played at the Palm Springs Gay and Lesbian Film Festival. There was this huge party afterwards. Um, it was because we were like the anchor night of that, sh- you know, movies have been playing for three days, <laughs> but we were the anchor for that night. So after the, uh, after we played, we w- went to this party and like the whole cast is there. Uh, they'd come in from Palm Springs. We'd rented a house uh, and so a lot of people were staying in the house and we had a pool. Rib Hillis is, this, is a model, like he played my husband. Um, people bought our relationship because he was playing a movie star, or t- uh, playing a TV star, like a soap star, and I'm playing a writer. So people bought mm. that relationship. Um, but as I was walking out, the partner to a photographer, a well-known photographer in, in Palm Springs, uh, we're no longer Facebook friends, uh, he comes up to me and he says, I'm really surprised that you cast yourself in the movie. And I was like, what? And like, this was a party, like people have been drinking. And he goes, yeah, I just didn't buy your relationship because nobody, Rib Hillis would never be with someone who looks like you. Mm-hmm. He would. You should have cast somebody hotter. And I wanted to put my fist through the back of this guy's skull. I'm like, wow, yep. you really just said that to me. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was, I had such an insecurity for like a year. Um, that is mean. That is very yeah. mean. So... <laughs> Yeah. Um, so when you say you want to cast your, you want to write something where you can cast yourself in a position that most people wouldn't consider you for. Yeah. I. I mean that sounds. I like it's the risk that you take. No, no, for it. sure. I like that because that's the whole. That's the opportunity that you create is. No one else is going to give this to me. Let me give it to myself versus write yeah. something that of course I get cast for. Like that's kind of a little yeah. defeats the purpose of the. With the chance you're taking. Yeah, and the first, um, when, in fact, we had premiered, uh, the, the time that that party went down, the, the birthday cake happened, I was in the process of trying to get installation made. And at the time, Jo Weil, who's a German actor, he was going to play the role of Charlie. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it didn't work out, schedule and financially, uh, to make it work. Um but I, you know, I, I had this, like, in the back of my head. I'm like, oh, my God, everybody thinks I'm unattractive. 
Mm. Nobody thinks I'm mm -hmm. hot enough to to play a, a lead. And that kind of, and I had that for like for years. And it wasn't until Brie Larson, when she was like on one of those actors roundtables the year that she was doing Room, she said, yeah, she goes, I couldn't get auditions for years. She goes, she goes, I wasn't character enough to be character and I wasn't attractive enough to be a leading lady. And I was like, mm -hmm. that has been my entire life. And uh, it was, that that was sort of her saying that. It was like, that was kind of a game changer moment for me, mm -hmm. hearing that. Yeah, just is. Getting out of my head. Yeah. Just pushing forward and, and doing, doing, doing what you do. And yeah. Uh, yeah. That's when I so when I say acting is uh, it's difficult. I'm like the stuff. Yeah, that, that that's the scariest part about acting. Because when I okay talk about me a little yeah. bit, I was gonna say when I first got into film. Because I don't think we talked about this much. We didn't have much time to talk on set. Right. But I wanted to pursue the acting side first. So I took like, and I was in Reno, Nevada. So no, there's no opportunity really. There's the the community film, sorry, community theater, and the, like commercial work. So, I I I was taking uh, like I took acting 101 in my final semester of college, and that kind of spurred that back. And I was like, oh my gosh, like maybe I can do this. And I did a couple of plays, and um, I trying to work through like capitalizing on who you are while also finding out who you are and what you have to offer and all those kinds of mind tricks of like being likable and being wanted and, yeah. and working through all that. Like, so then I started doing my, my thing where I was, I would, I would produce content and write content and direct content for me to act in. Mm -hmm. And that's when I quickly learned that like, actually the acting side is not for me. I don't, really? I don't, I don't want that. Put somebody up, put, put somebody in front of the camera that wants to be there. I'm happy to do the collaboration and, mm -hmm. and make you look good and all that kind of stuff. Like that's kind of what I fell into. Um, but I did explore acting for a couple of years and uh, work through that kind of stuff. So I, I can, so that's why, I mean, I, I try my best to put myself in a position where I can definitely, where I understand where everybody around me on set is going through. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, I've acted, that is difficult, and I respect everything that you're doing. In the same way as like when, when you're directing, it's like, I've directed, I know exactly what you're going through. Mm -hmm. I'm here to back you up and, and offer mm -hmm. all that support. And I have AD to features. I've, of, of course, script supervised. I've produced my own feature. And I've edited my own feature and edited a bunch of shorts. So, like, getting everything in my, in my, in my toolbox so I can, I can better communicate and, and all those elements. So when you were saying you were going to well, as far as my dream, my dream is the, is the directing side primarily um, where... I like being the central hub of the communication and, and, yeah. and really relying on other people's abilities to yeah. be awesome and just be like, all right, you do your thing. Yeah. I'm just here to, to, to be the glue to keep us all together. Um, yeah. So that's, that's where I vibe the most. But like when I was in Reno, I, I, I stayed with the craft of film up there for like maybe 2013 is when I took acting 101 <laughs> and then I was producing content with the community for, and then I moved here in 2018. So, okay. so like five years and I got like 70 short films shot and Damn. pumped out through the community and stuff. And, and, wow. and, and that was like my film school was just like making yeah. stuff, learning on the job. And, uh, 
So through that process, I was kind of, I was kind of like the, the local like showrunner head that would greenlight little short films and, and crew it up. And sometimes I would direct, sometimes I'd ask somebody else to direct so we wouldn't have the burnout issue. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely have the experience of like I've worked with many directors with many levels of experience. And I love, I love the, the craft of the collaboration on just making stuff and getting people together and, and doing my part to help just, all right, we're on the project. Let's make this thing as good as possible. What's the vision? Let's make that happen. And either assembling the community or assembling the people that we have and, and, and being there. So that's why I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm a really good script supervisor because I have that previous, previous mm-hmm. experience with walking through many productions and just being there to support. It's like, I'm, it's not my show and changing the gears in my head where I'm, I'm not the hub here. Like mm-hmm. Chad's the hub. Let me do my best. Cause I know what he's going through and, and make it happen. So those are my favorite two positions is the support role. And then also having the chance to be the glue too. So it's, um, the, my pillars, the, uh, the collaboration part on the film as a director, I, I love that part. I, I love hearing what people want to bring to the table. And like right now, we're getting images back from mm. the the visual effects makeup. So I'm listening to like special effects makeup um, that will be the creature. And uh, it's like obviously I, I want that designer to come to the table, give me ideas. Uh, I've been sending some inspiration stuff sure. as well that I saw like in New Orleans, and um, so we're we're back and forth like that. Um, where I. I want to make sure that everybody's having a good time. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that we're respectful of everybody's time. Mm-hmm. I never want people... Uh, like, I have been on sets before where nobody is watching the clock. And, like, I want people to get home and, and be able to watch television or, mm. or have time with their family or their partner. Or, like, I... Obviously, you know, we have to get everything on camera. Uh, but I want us to move as quickly as possible so that... But, you know, not... Not that we're putting the actors in danger or that sure, they're sure. like, they have the time to process and do what they want to do. Um, but I, I'm always mindful of, of everybody's time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I learned some things on Undertaker's Wife that moving forward with the next movie will be very different mm-hmm. about scheduling. And like, I, I understand that like, it's, it's the AD's job to schedule things out, but I need to be consulted on... On, and I think a lot of it was the fact that it was like, oh, it's just his first film. So so we'll do it for him kind of thing. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> there there were days when uh, I was, and I, and I should have been more assertive and said, I, I, I don't want this happening on this day because of this reason. Or I need more time mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. shoot this scene because of this reason. And I should have been more assertive with... Um, with what I wanted and what I needed. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people mistake my kindness for weakness and that's a big mistake. Yeah, so that would be like like pre-production communications, right? Yeah. It's like, all right, AD and even DP, that's like, all, let's all get on the chat and talk through what my expectations are and what I think is important and then really being like, all right, sweet, this is how we can work with that or this is what we have to push back against yeah. that because of this. And Yeah, no, that sounds right because I was going to ask about... Um, 
Undertaker's wife was slated for 15, 15 days, right, yeah. and we got done... 14 days. In 14 days. And I that's the lesson you, you were talking about, right? That was a big right? lesson I learned. And I've been very vocal about it. And David's a friend of mine. Yeah. Dad, but I will never do that again. Don't become the hero of your own movie. So, because that's that was a big lesson. Because we mm -hmm. were... You know, we were shooting... Again, we never had overtime. Well, well okay. Because that's where the, the two... The two things are fighting against each other in, your, in the brain, right? It's mm -hmm. like, I respect the time. Mm -hmm. So then what's the thing over here where it's like, well, we have the time. Yeah. So let's find that balance of not going into OT, but maybe what can we, like, what's the, what's the lesson? There? The, uh, well, the, and. Or what's the, what would you have done differently? And the thing is, like, I'm, like, obviously when we have the, the AD hired on intelligent, like, that person will do a schedule. But I told David, I'm like. But this time, the uh, we're going to have a conversation about the schedule, and like, sure, of course. because we can't have actor working day one and actor working day fifteen. Schedule wise, that's just we can't because there will be on three weekly contracts. Like that's sure, sure. something we can't do. So that's like producer stuff. There, it's producer too. stuff, and like obviously we have an actor who's coming in from London, and we're dealing with his visa right now, which has been a nightmare. It has nothing to do with him. It's just it's the government. And so we don't know when we're going to start shooting based on that. And so we're going to try to front load the scenes that he's not in and then shoot the other scenes. But then 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, we could find out that we have his visa for April 1st, and that's mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. But we, can't, we have to do a schedule based on him. And uh, with under, the big lesson learned, and I mean, this is not... This is a podcast for educational reasons, and much like the docu-series that we shot as well, one of the biggest lessons that I learned was I, you know, being respectful of people's time, I had said, and, uh, and Julian came on set one day, he, he's on camera saying, yeah, they keep rapping, you know, in under eight hours, like I want to make sure that they're actually shooting a movie. Oh, and, right, right. Um, and we were, because the great thing was, actors we would communicate, we knew exactly what we wanted out of the scene. We'd go in, we'd shoot it. We didn't, we didn't, there were certain scenes I didn't want a lot of coverage. I wanted it to be a, a two shot. Um, and Shannon had respectfully said that she does not like a lot of takes. And hmm. as long as you're giving me what I want, I will welcome aboard, sister. Sure. So, I mean, she had respect, you know, when I asked the actors, like, what do you want? What do you like? Some actors do like a lot of takes just so they have time to warm up. Shannon was a pro. Shannon would hit it, you know, First couple of takes, if, and she'd ask me, like, you know, is that what you're looking for? Or are we on the right note? And so, I mean, that was part of the reason we got so far ahead was because John and Shannon and the other cast. And Igor was quick, too. And Igor was so Because that, that's a big part of it is, like... So quick. Is setting up lights and all of that. And that, like you said, the crew, he would just look <laughs> and they'd whoop, move. There are so many times during the docuseries where it's like, I ask him, like, how long is it going to take? He's like, oh, it's going to take like 30 minutes. And then I would like not even be to the bathroom and Heidi would be like, they're ready. I'm like, can I please just go to the bathroom? Like I just I walk out of the house and around to the back and like, yeah. um, so super, super fast. That mm -hmm. being said, we got ahead of schedule and I had, we knew at the beginning of the second week that there was a possibility that we could uh, move some stuff around mm -hmm. and come in at 14 days. That was, and we knew that at the beginning of the second week of the, of the three-week shoot mm -hmm. because the, the big question mark was President's Day holiday uh, and the whole holiday of, of, of it all. And so I, 
David and Julie and you know everybody in, in question, they were considering cutting off that one day, which would mean that we would only have one day in the embalming room as opposed to two days. And I was like, I can do it in one day. I can do it in one day. Mm-hmm. What I have to have, though, is I have to have at the end of this of day uh, uh, the day before, I needed X amount of time to move some of those scenes over to that day. Mm-hmm. And then we could have done it. Easy peasy. Like if you had just listened to me at the beginning of the second week, I could have told you how to do it. And there were people that did not want to do that and were making their arguments for it. And if we're trying to save money, as I was told that I would have more money in post, if we did do this, of course, you always want as much money in post as you can. Mm-hmm. So um, the David and I went to see a movie that Saturday night before the last week. And I was like, please, dear God, if you're going to cut off this day, do it now. Don't wait until Tuesday. Because if you wait until Tuesday, it's going to be bad. Like, I don't want the cast feeling like they're going to be rushed. I don't want the crew feeling like the things are going to have to be moved. The other thing was art department was going to need additional people because we had to build mm-hmm. the embalming room set. Locations needed to talk to the cemetery to make sure that we could get into the embalming room. And so, like, all of these conversations need to happen. And two hours after we wrapped that Tuesday night is when they made the decision. Mm-hmm. And all of hell broke loose. Just like I said it would. Mm-hmm. The actors were pissed. The the crew was pissed. Because that just comes down to... I mean, that's kind of what what we want on set. Is, or maybe that's maybe like what we want on yeah. set. Is that level of transparency yeah. of like, let's talk. Tell me what's yeah. going through your mind. And we it's, all, and like that second week, like we knew that that was a possibility. Yeah, we, it, we were on pace, so. Yeah, and... And then, of course, it like the decision should have been made earlier, and it was not. And of course, when people have gone home, they're in bed and they're getting the email saying that this is happening. And then the next, and then of course mm-hmm. that day, and it just it just happened to be you're always going to have that one day on set where like the train comes off the tracks, and that was the day the train mm-hmm. went off the tracks, mm-hmm. and the the plug and the, the grave hadn't been pulled so John John was supposed to be in the grave there was a plug there's a cemetery yeah we were on location that day yeah. yeah and there's there's one grave in the cemetery that is a Hollywood plot like all the TV movies and, and mm. stuff shoot in this grave but there's a plug that goes down three feet and that's if you're just gonna if you're doing an above ground funeral and you're just gonna gently lower the casket and then cut then it'll just go down to three feet well the plug hadn't been pulled John was supposed to be standing in the hole at six feet. And we lost time for that. The art department truck hit a tree. I mean, it was like, what are those? I remember like watching, it was like just like a human disaster movie happening. Like as you just like pan the horizon and like, um, and then of course, you know, you never want to upset the actors and, and have them feeling like they're stressed and they're being pushed and that they're being rushed. You never want the mm-hmm. actors to feel rushed. And yeah, because like like you said, there's that little bit. That that was what you what you had forewarned about was we don't want to pull a rug from from the team and make them feel a certain way. And, and then uh, they, the art department didn't have time to hire additional people to make all of this stuff happen. Locations hadn't checked with the mm-hmm. the embalming room to see if we could get in there earlier. And then it turned out Lucifer was shooting there the next day. And so, like all of these things that should have happened a week this, earlier. And we were playing catch up. And then at the end of the night, uh, 
I mean, it was just, it was not a great day for me. Uh, but at the end of the night, like walking over to David and like finding out that we're going to lose one of the actors for five hours the next day, when that was the day I, I, I needed all of this additional time mm-hmm. to save that day. Right. And now we're, now not only do I not have that last day, but now I'm losing five hours. So like I've lost a day and a half now to make this work. Mm-hmm. And it was, and I was like, I just remember being like, I don't want to, I don't want to hear the word overtime <laughs> from now until this movie's in the can. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's, it is what it so is. So then I guess, I guess what I'm thinking is, so as far as lesson learned, I will never be the hero ever again. So you're trying to, so the, so your answer next time would be, you wouldn't say I can get this done in a day. Is that, that's, that's the, that's the correct. Unless answer. I'm directing the movie. Well, you were, but then I would. I mean, oh, I'm producing the movie. Okay, like if it's installation, not that we're gonna on a ten day shoot, we're not gonna get to nine days. But I would, I would openly communicate this with everybody. You know, if I were producing the movie, Mm -hmm. I would openly communicate this with everybody in advance, and it just happened. You know, and again, it was lessons learned on all on all sides. Because, because, oh, sorry. No, I mean, I, I, I think production realized that that was a bad move after the fact. I'm, Even sure, I'm sure it was voiced. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it was voiced. Well, I mean, it's definitely part of the docuseries. Could, because... could... Oh, geez, please. No, I mean, it was like, it was like, I, I, we had people that did not want to be on camera when this was going on and I had zero fucks to give. I mean, mm-hmm. I was, I voiced exactly what I thought. Mm-hmm. And, and again, we're all friends. Like that's not, it, this was not a personal thing. Yeah, yeah. It was just the it, wrong it decision. That and again, as an education for a podcast purpose, yeah, like it's, yeah. it's there's a reason why you have to listen to the people that are on the set that are making the movie, and when they say "do not do it this way," because X, Y, and Z is going to happen, and then X, yeah, Y, and yeah, Z yeah, happens, yeah. and you're the one that's getting paying the pounded, paying the price, yeah, for... pounded. Because it reminds me of uh, Greta Gerwig. Um... I've, I know, I've kept up with some of her, uh, I don't know, like Q and A's and stuff, and I think it was from Little Women because she did Lady Bird, mm-hmm. she directed Lady Bird, mm-hmm. and then she directed Little mm-hmm. Women, and she had lessons learned from Lady Bird, and it feels similar to this with like producers and production will tell you as a director is like, there's too many pages here, we got to cut this yeah. thing down, and then she realized through the making of Lady Bird is like. Okay, well, what she ended up doing for Little Women was she hid pages from production. <laughs> She's like, sure, I'll say I'm going to cut this. Right. But on the day of production, I'm just going to like scribble out the monologue that I want Meryl Streep to say and just hand it to her and be like, hey, can you, like, we're going to shoot this too. Can you get ready for yeah. this? And then Meryl Streep's like, yeah, I got it. And then they shoot. It's like, oh, yeah, we're just going right, to, yeah. you know. And then on the day, I'm sure she communicates with her team in some fashion yeah. where she organizes it, but... Being sneaky with getting what you want as a director while working within the confines of the oh, producers yeah. because they don't often trust, especially like I could assume in like her position early on is like I'm a first time director yeah. and they're not buying my word right. so I've got to kind of come up and be sneaky about it. And of course the other thing, that we, again, going back to, to David, because again, this was not a malicious thing. It wasn't this mustache twirling villain thing where he was like, ha, right. I'm going to like wait until the sure, last minute. Sure, sure, sure. 
David and Julian were in NICU. Like, they, they had, like, they were just trying to keep the babies alive. And, you know, the babies are walking now. And so, but it's like, um, they, there were things that they were much more important in their lives at that point. That being said, I mean, there were several times where I was like, you must really trust me to, like, be on my first film here right, and, right. and not be on set. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, again, like, we had no issues. We had no issues on, on for what you consider a, a film set, that except that that one day. And it, it's going to happen on every film. It's going to happen on every film. There's going to be a day when people are going to be unhappy. And the overwhelm happens. And, and you just have to prepare for it. Have you had those days where, like, how do you, like... When that day, because what happened when, 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 and I, I, I had to turn around. I don't know if you remember, but I had to turn around and like walk away. And I was like, don't react. Don't raise your voice. Mm-hmm. Don't say anything. Just be present. <laughs> you have to take it. And, oh, right, right, right. Um, uh, and because as the director, it's like, yeah, you can turn around and like snap on somebody, but. Uh, you're going to lose respect of everybody on that set. And it's not normally the most productive no. thing to do. Yeah. No. So I was like, just take it, be present. It's all going to work out, but you have to take it. You're the one, this is your job, and you're the one that's about to <laughs> get punched in the face. Mm-hmm. And it did. And it like, But the other fun thing that happened that day, thank God for it, Mark Singer, who played the sheriff, uh, a childhood idol of mine, I love the TV show V, um, he came. You know, we wrapped that first big scene. That you know the. the you're going to talk about the advice he gave you. Is that what you're yeah. going to bring up? Yeah. Yeah. Remember that? yeah. Yeah. I remember. He uh, he walked up to me. He's like, "Hey, buddy, can I walk?" Because we're in the cemetery. He's like, "Hey, buddy, can I walk you back?" And he, he was wrapped at this point. Um, and he walked up to me and he goes, "I just want to tell you, I haven't." He goes, "I haven't worked on a film set. This is the most fun I've had working on a film set in decades." Hmm. And I was like, "Thank you." I'm like, I. Part of me was like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, Chad, don't cry. And uh, uh, he's like, he goes, he goes, it was really fun. And he, you know, he could have stayed in base camp, but he came up and like watched the chaos, everything go down. And so like all of this is going down mm-hmm. in front of my childhood aisle. And so like he's watching this all go down and I'm having to like, just like, you can't react. You have mm-hmm. to just if you chin up, take it, take it. And I just remember thinking, take it, take it. Um, You'll get through this. Take it. Just take it. Like, I mean, like, literally, it felt like I was getting punched in the face that entire afternoon. And um, he walked up to me, and he's like, he goes, I am so impressed with how you handled everything. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, he goes, I just really, you need to know that. And it's like, he had no idea that's exactly what I needed to hear. And then I did, you know, like, it's uncomfortable. But sometimes you have to pull somebody aside and say, don't you ever fucking talk to me like that again. Mm-hmm. And I did. And, uh, and it... Not to Mark Singer. I mean, obviously somebody else. Um, Not to me either. There was, there, was an, there was an issue with someone on set. And, uh, you know, and again, it's like you're on a film set. It's, you're a family. You're a traveling circus. Like, there are going to be instances. And you can, you can say, don't you ever fucking talk to me like that again and be assertive and uh, calm and, uh, and get through it. Shake hands and you're done. And, and that's what had to happen that day. But that was like... They don't teach you that in film school. They don't teach you about the day that the train comes off the tracks. And you're, you're the one that's like, you got to, it's your job mm-hmm. to remain calm and just take it. The tone that, setter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know that it's, it's not just about this day, but it's, it's the other three days that you have left. Yeah, it's a tough job. Yeah. Tough job. And we're, we're pretty much at time. 
I don't know. <laughs> I feel like, so I'm, I'll try to. I'll try to. Eat, I don't know. Um, Thank you for doing this. Yeah, this yeah. I hope I. Answered. It's, it, it, no, it goes. It's great. Great. I just feel. I'm sometimes too honest in my. No, oh, no, no. That's what we're here for. <laughs> no. People like David will be like listening to this and like, motherfucker, why did you talk about what <laughs> happened? But it's like, and again, like, I'm pretty transparent and pretty honest, and like I what you see is what you get and I don't I believe in sharing your experiences mm -hmm. and being honest because I think it only help other people like I'd never I would never share something that's an intimate secret or intimate something that happened but mm -hmm. I think all and of course all of us is on the docuseries anyway so it's like it's not like sure sure and and it's something that has I, and what the great thing about the, the the problems and the issues that I learned on set are things that I will never happen again we'll see well, no, the, you know, those won't. Uh, you know, it's like, of course you're going to have issues. Yeah, there'll be but, different um, ones. You know how to handle it the mm -hmm. next time around. Yeah. Um, where can, where's this doc, what's happening with this docuseries? Uh, one, one quick thing before you answer that. I, I remember when I'm a script supervisor, I know I like to, I don't, it's like a weird personality jump. Like I said, if I'm a director on set, of course, there's different expectation of who you are versus a script supervisor. So when I was script souping, the the crew would be around, and I was kind of like, they're never like they never interview me, <laughs> and I'm like, I kind of wanted to kind of almost trigger like director producer ready and be like, hey, like I'm I'm just, like you want to talk to me like this, like let me. Did they not interview? I never talked to them once, but. I want I, I I wanted to almost push them to like I wanted to become a character in the series, but I decided to I was like uh, it's, it didn't it didn't come up. But yeah, I, I, they never got interviewed or or I think I, I think I scared them. I'm not quite well. Sure. <laughs> I I know that well. There were certain people that did not want to be on camera, and I yeah. think because of that, that scared them off a lot of people. So they ended up like only following certain people. And... Yeah, I figured they were just feeling it out because I I kind of played. Shy and like avoidant, so they were probably oh, like, well, they he, probably, yeah, just probably assume, but um, I wanted to tease. They're still in the editing process with it, depending on where it's going to so land. So it's not too late. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're still, and I think they're going to have to, uh, there's some, po well, the, uh, the final post of all of it will be filmed as well. The final lock of everything. Gotcha. But it's, yeah, my hair goes from black to blonde to bald. All over the place, yeah. man. <laughs> so I'm assuming that's going to be somehow paired with the release mm -hmm, of the feature. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like either like a extras kind of thing or... But the, the idea is it'll land whatever, wherever it lands, it'll land as, a, as an additional piece mm -hmm. uh, before the movie comes out. Oh, gotcha, um, gotcha. Because it follows everything from... It's kind of like some, maybe even clips for like featurettes or something. Or, yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's, I've seen, I've seen parts of it. I've only seen parts of it. Um, it's pretty fun. Yeah. It's really, and again, like our whole point was like, it has to be educational. This mm -hmm. is not a reality show. This is not, we're not trying to create mm -hmm. drama here. And, um, but what's interesting is the drama that comes out of it are all educational things that are like very important. Like if, if you're watching it, it's, um, like one of the one of the big lessons for me last year was, you know, with the um, the payroll company, mm. and this is like such a such an in 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 thing, <laughs> but it's like the payroll company 
only they'll only if you're a loan out company, you have to be an S corp. Well, mm-hmm. I'm just a regular LLC, so they wouldn't pay me. Mm-hmm. So I had to I had to go online and like build an entire new company just so I could get paid. So the lesson is, if you want to be a filmmaker in a loan out company, make sure it's an S corp. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and so, uh, but all of this is going down huh. while we're shooting. So it's like in between oh, right, takes. Right. Like I, at like at one point, I was like, "Son of a bitch!" And like the, in the I'm in the, they're they're on Heidi and Igor, but I'm in the back like screaming at my phone because I had to in order to get paid, mm-hmm. I had to start this S corp, and then they found some other way to like pay me as a vendor. So now I have these two companies right. now that I I don't need now, but. Um, or you could have just used one of them, or whatever. Yeah. Who knows? Um, but that, like, that's like the things that come up, and it's like, and of course the whole conversation about cutting the day—that's a huge thing. But I think it's really interesting the way that's cut, because mm-hmm. David didn't—you know—he gave them full reign to edit it, and we explain like what happened and and the issues that came out after that. Mm-hmm. And again, it's it's not like anything bad happened. It was just a bad day. A bad day at the office. Yeah, 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 People yeah. were grumpy. Yeah, that's just that's how set goes. Like we were saying, yeah. it just happens, and you just got to get through it. Yeah. But on that note, um, yeah, no, thanks for being down. It's, happened, it's great, great having you back in town um, as you're prepping for some cool stuff, and yeah. best of luck on all of that. Thanks. And, uh, oh, where can people... Uh, do, oh. do you want people following yeah, you? Yeah, on the Clubhouse, the Twitter, and... Instagram is just uh, at Chad Darnell, oh, nice. uh, and my I, my Facebook is uh, Chad Darnell Casting, which because it's just been, mm-hmm. that's my public page for everything. Um, yeah, cool. So yeah, so keep up with. Uh, I'm sure you'll you'll post announcements, and you're pretty good about like under un, Undertaker's wife news or whatever you yeah, got going and, uh, on. Yeah, so. I think it's the Undertaker at the Undertaker's wife is our Instagram. But okay. that, that, that's sweet. Cool. All right. Uh, Beautiful. That's it. That's all I got. Bye, guys. (laughs)